You think you can come to my hotel and take over? I talked to Barzini. I can make a deal with him and still keep my hotel. Is that why you slap my brother around in public? Oh, no, that, that, that was nothing, Mike. Now, now, uh, uh, Mo didn't mean nothing by that. Sure, he flies off the handle once in a while, but, but Mo and me were good friends, right, Mo, huh? I got a business to run. I got to kick asses sometimes to make it run right. We had a little argument, Freddie and I, so I had to straighten him out. You straightened my brother out. He was banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. Players couldn't get a drink at the table. What's wrong with you? I leave for New York tomorrow. Think about a price. Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. Wait a minute, Mo. Mo, I get an idea. Tom? Tom, you're the conciliary. Now, you can talk to the Don. You can explain. Just a minute. Don is semi-retired, and Mike is in charge of the family business now. If you have anything to say, say it to Michael. Mike, you don't come to Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that. Fredo, you're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gardner goes right to King but just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk, and proud member of the RR Production Stable. Happy to be a part of it, Ron. Thank you very much. And welcome today to episode 77, actual episode 99. And today I bring you my chat with Phil DiGaetano, and I'll tell you a little bit more about Phil uh, towards the end of this introduction. Uh, first off, I'd like to say that uh, if I sound a little stuffy, it's because it's early in the morning. I was just playing with the dog a little bit, and I have not taken my allergy pill yet. So uh, I'm a little uh, little stuffy here, but uh, I'll be okay. I don't want anyone to, uh, to be concerned. But um, let's get to the show. Now, if you are on social media and you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, it's at... Kali Sinbin Pod, and if you want to follow my personal Twitter account, it's at Joe 
underscore Lozito. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. And on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. So there you go. That's all um, show-related stuff, Islander organizational enforcer-related stuff. Uh, I was never a disease. Well, first, I was never a political expert. I never became a disease expert, and I sure as hell am not an expert on war. So I'll save that for most of your other friends. Uh, you can come to those social media platform accounts and uh, get absolutely nothing that has to do with real life. I uh, uh, Like most of those people, I don't know much about it, but at least I admit it. But uh, anyway, check out those social media accounts. Uh, give them a like or a follow, whatever it is. And if you have anything that you do, I will be more than happy to return the favor in kind. Now, when you go to those accounts, you're going to see my logo. And the logo was done by local Long Island artist Joe Marisich. Joe is available for hire. And if you're interested, please reach out to Joe on Twitter at GraphicsJoker, G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R. Or you can hit Joe up at loudegg.com. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. A couple of other podcasts that I'd like to tell you about. The usual cast of characters here. The Fourth Line Voice podcast with my buddy Darren up in Saskatchewan. Now, Darren's been in Vegas for the last 10 days or so, but... Boy, he has that old-school Canadian prairie work ethic. He pumps out episodes even before he leaves. And uh, I believe the last three episodes that he's given us were uh, all while he's on vacation. So he pumped these out before he even left. I mean, what a what a warrior he is. I tell you, he uh, he's only worried about us, folks. He, uh, he takes care of us before he leaves. Now, Darren is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. He pumps out two episodes weekly. Uh, Wednesday is generally his interview show. And Sundays are uh, generally what I dub the Sunday shit show. Now, Lately, the Sunday shows have been without Venom, but this last Sunday, a little bit of the Darren was back. The, the little, he's a spitfire, a uh, little bit uh, aggressive in that one, and that was a lot of fun to listen to. Welcome back to the Sunday shit show. I loved it. Uh, so definitely uh, give Darren's podcast a follow. Follow him on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. You will not be disappointed. He is the OG of this Enforcer podcast genre. I believe he's close to 200 episodes now. So, uh, he ke- like I said, he keeps pumping them out. Only cares about us. He's he's selfless. An absolute warrior up there. Um, and he also has a YouTube channel, the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. If you have ever watched the hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it's on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. So definitely follow that channel. Do the deep dive. Uh, you know, my interview today with Phil, Phil and I talked about my minor league enforcer, Mount Rushmore. So, Phil, go on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel and put in Brett Gallant and uh, do that deep dive like I told you. Uh, Phil, you will not be disappointed. That dude is, holy fuck, is he tough. So you could do that on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. Also, down in Florida, and I believe he's only in Florida for a short period of time. I think he's, uh, I think he's moving to North Carolina or something in a few months. Uh, part-time only, Alec Colden Salen, the Five for Fighting podcast, proud member of the Six Pack Coverage Team. His latest episode was, uh, and now it's obviously uh, it's a dated episode, but it was uh, he talks about the Matt Barnaby versus Sean Avery 
meeting up in the ECHL. Talk about that perspective matchup. Now, when he recorded that episode, it was it was basically, I believe, the day that Matt Barnaby said he wanted to come out of retirement to play against Avery. So at the time, it was very topical. But, you know, now uh, Avery, I guess he was cut. I don't know what the deal was. You had uh, Barnaby wanting to come out of retirement to beat him up. Uh, George LaRock wanted to throw his hat in the ring. And uh, so I don't know what exactly went on with uh, with Avery. I mean, I guess he was cut, but I don't know. Do, do you cut a guy that you bring in and you start selling jerseys? You know, who knows what happened? I mean, maybe he thought better of it. And because I think what was ha- what was going to happen is you had Barnaby was first, then George was second. There could have been a list of guys that wanted to come out of retirement now to play one game in the East Coast League to get their pound of flesh. So. I don't exactly know what happened, but it was a good episode. It was a very good episode. Alec really, uh, he's got his uh, finger on the pulse of that league, so um, so he's uh, he's all over it, and it was going to be in the division. He's in, uh, uh, what is it? Well, he's not in Estero, but that's where the Everblades play, so he goes to those games. So he's all over that league this year, and, um, and it was going to be pretty exciting for him. Uh, definitely. I don't know if Barnaby was looking to go uh, with the Everblades or LaRock, but it could have been something special, but it didn't work out. But that was his last episode, and it was uh, very topical. Um, So you can go back and listen to that one, but the episode I really want to urge you to listen to, uh, if you're open-minded, is uh, he did an episode before that, and it had a lot to do... Well, it was. It was the episode where he discussed the uh, Malcolm Subban and Jacob Panetta incident. Um, The reason why I bring that up is because, you know, the way society is today, um, you're one side or the other. And it's very rare when someone goes into a topic open-minded. And what Alec did in that episode was discuss both sides of the coin. And it was uh, it was a really good episode. And Alec, I, I hope you're proud of that episode, and you should be. Um, Alec did not take sides in that episode. He presented both sides clearly and coherently. And I know that some people took offense to it. Uh, I don't really understand how, but, um, you know, I think if you can, if you can go into it with an open mind, I think it's an episode that you'd really appreciate listening, listening to regardless of the side that you're on. So, uh, Alec is due for a new episode shortly and, um, I'm looking forward to that one. So definitely, uh, just like I said about fourth line voice, definitely give five for fighting a follow. Uh, both have tremendous back catalogs. You won't be disappointed. Also, similarly to the Fourth Line Voice, Five for Fighting has a YouTube channel. They are um, they highlight the fights of the four-letter league that uh, that doesn't want you to know that they fight down there, even though they've probably been the most consistent league this year as far as fights go. But uh, they don't like they don't want you to know that they fight down there, even though again sort of how the league made its bones years ago. But uh, but I digress here. Uh, but if you're looking for fights on the uh, top AA league in the world, that would be the place to go, the Five for Fighting YouTube channel. But again, it's the league that shall not be named, so don't say it. They're very sensitive about it. Check it out, though. Lots of good stuff on there. And if you're on Facebook, check out the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. That is also run by Alec. He's a busy little guy there, and uh, he does all this stuff. And um, excuse me, 
Uh, this is what I'm talking about. Little, uh, little stuffy here from the dog. Uh, but the the benefit of the Enforcer Appreciation page, you get to uh, you know correspond with fight fans. You get to correspond with guys who've done the job. And if you see a goofy topic, chances are that, and if you see that the fourth line voice is involved, chances are that's going to be one of the topics for a Sunday shit show. So you get everything in that uh, that group. So definitely check it out if you get a chance and uh, support my boys, Fourth Line Voice, and the Five for Fighting podcast. So now. We have reached that time for the 2021-22 New York Islanders slash Bridgeport Islanders fight report. Now, it's been about a week and a half or so since uh, since we've been together here. So there are some new entries, and um, we'll start with Bridgeport. On February 15, 2022, Paul Thompson uh, logged his third bout of the year against Nick Boca of Rochester. Uh, four days later, on February 19th, also notching his third fight of the year was Seth Helgeson. He fought Kale Kessie of Hershey. I know Kale's fought a few uh, Bridgeport players over the years. And uh, the captain, Seth Helgeson, his third fight of the year. Always good to see him getting involved. Now, I'd say the surprise of the year so far on uh, February 23rd, 2022. And it's not surprising because he's always played with a little bit of an edge. But uh, based on who some of the guys are in Bridgeport this year... Parker Watherspoon, with his team leading fifth fight this year against, uh, and I I don't know this player, so I apologize if I'm butchering his name, uh, Kian Washkarak of uh, the Springfield Falcons. Uh, That was Watherspoon's fifth fight of the year and um, really turned it on. It started in December. He didn't have his first fight until December, and basically uh, over a little over two months, he's, uh, he's leading the team with five fights, so that's good to see. Oh, like I think I've mentioned it before, it's always good to see guys hungry doing whatever it takes to get to the next level. And, you know, the way the year is going for the Islanders right now, it doesn't look like a playoffs are imminent. So you may see some of these players from Bridgeport up later in the year. And uh, Watherspoon is certainly making a case uh, to get a call up. So it's always great to see. So good for you, Parker Watherspoon, with your fifth fight of the year. And um, a couple of days ago, the last fight uh, for the Sound... Oh, almost said Sound Tigers. See, they never should have changed. Last fight for Bridgeport in the month of February. Andy Andreoff with his second fight of the year against Jordy Belrive of Wilkes-Barre Scranton. And again, I don't know anything about Jordy, so I apologize if I said your name incorrectly. Not that he's listening anyway. But you had those four fights since the last time we chatted, and we move on to the big club. Uh, two fights since the last time we were together, both in the same game uh, on the 24th of February. Uh, big Z's, Dan O'Chara, logged his team-leading fifth fight. And I guess it's him and Parker right now for the entire organization. Uh, fifth fight of the year against Jeff Viel of San Jose. And uh, Viel actually pushed that uh, pushed that fight. He was uh, aggressive in getting it going. Uh, so, uh, you know, good for him. I mean, listen, I'm an Islander podcast here, but uh, I always appreciate guys like Viel, uh, you know, pushing the envelope, challenging themselves, making an impression. You know, Bobby Bugner's the coach there in San Jose, and I'm sure that went a long way with uh, with Bob seeing Jeff, uh, Jeff do that. And um, J.G. Pajot in the same game, logged his second fight of the year against Matt Nieto, and that was Pajot coming to the defense of his teammate. I, I tell you, uh, Pajot doesn't fight a lot, and it seems like whenever he gets uh, gets his hands dirty, 
He's usually coming to the aid of a teammate, and you got to love that about this kid. Um, obviously, he's one of the more popular players on the team already, uh, but th stuff like that is only going to endear him to the fan base even more. So, uh, so good for you, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Just a few notes before we get to uh, Philly D here. Um, I want to wish a happy birthday to my man Dean Ewan. It was his birthday yesterday, February 28th. And, um, you know, I sent him a, I sent him a nice text that only, uh, that Dean got, but I, I would never, uh, I would never say it out loud. He would probably kick my ass, but, um, but I hope Dean, if you're listening, I hope you enjoyed our text and, uh, I hope you showed it to Val, but, uh, happy birthday, brother. Um, you know, many, many more happy birthday, Dean Ewan. Um, and obviously, unless you've been under a rock, you know, that, uh, recently Zdeno Chara broke the record for most NHL games by a defenseman that was previously held by Chris Chelios. So uh, congratulations to Big Z. And, you know, it, it really says something about guys with the commitment to fitness because uh, Chelios always had the reputation of a guy who was a fitness fanatic. Uh, he held the record for a very long time for most NHL games by a defenseman. He was a solid player until the end. And, you know, Chara's work ethic and the fitness is legendary coming from his father. So uh, it kind of, I mean, and listen, there's a lot of luck involved too when you play the game the way Chara and Chelios did. Well, Chara does and Chelios did. Um, there's some luck involved too because you, you play physical like that. So, uh, but I, I can't, I can't state it enough, you know, good for these guys that, that have this longevity, but they, they earn it. They earn it with their off ice stuff too. So, um, so good for them and congratulations to big Z also congratulations to big number 32 Ross Johnston the other night against Anaheim played in his 100th NHL game. And how did he celebrate by getting two assists? So as I said, well, as I tweeted uh, on social, well, you're only going to tweet on social media, but as I tweeted with that hundredth game that now gives Ross Johnston exactly 100 games more than all of his critics on social media combined, because it's always the people. Uh, and I touch on this with, with Phil uh, it's always the blue haired girls or the, uh, the allies, um, you know, with with the the boys with their little kitty and the um, profile pick, and I, I think Darren said that the toque wearers they always got the toque of their favorite team, uh, which is the winter hat for those of us down here. If, if you're not familiar, uh, and I you know I added that they may be holding a soy latte or something. It's always those guys and gals that want to criticize someone like Ross Johnston. Yet they'll never sniff a rink. An NHL rink, anyway. You know, they may sniff the figure skating rink. I don't know, but uh, and and let me make it clear: figure skating is a very difficult uh, task to do. So I, I don't. Well, not again. Not that anyone listening is going to take offense to that, but um, it's always those type of people that will uh, criticize a Ross Johnston. And uh, you know, I guess it's a hundred games later, you're still behind the keyboard, and he's playing in the NHL. So I guess the joke's on you. So congratulations to Ross Johnston. Uh, I had a bunch of other things I wanted to talk about, but really they're they're kind of dated now. Um, I'm just looking at the list. I mean, I, I wasn't thrilled with the cheap shot Dylan Cousins. Um, I guess it was 
Brock Nelson. I, I didn't make a note, of course. Uh, it was a cheap shot, and I was pissed that there was uh, there was no retribution. I mean, now we're going back a couple of weeks. Um, uh, the, the hit actually reminded me, if you want to go back and watch the video, Jim Cummins once smoked Ken Belanger when, uh, when Kenny was with Toronto and, and Jimmy was with Chicago. Uh, it was very reminiscent of that. And um, then uh, after that, uh, Jimmy ended up fighting uh, Greg Smith. And then a few years later, once Kenny was an Islander, uh, Kenny challenged Jim Cummins. The thing is, you know, the, the hit's not good ever. But if Jim Cummins does it to you, first of all, it's probably a lot harder. It's a lot more aggressive. But Jim Cummins is going to answer the bell. And uh, Jim Cummins will do it to you. But then when you challenge him, he's going to fight. And I don't think cousin, I mean, cousin should have been challenged and he wasn't. And that pissed me off that night. And, uh, but I think it was a game or so later in, uh, at the, um, at UBS, there was an incident. Some, something happened with Montreal, uh, Pizzetta, I don't know the guy's name, Pizzetta. He did something and then Matt Martin came right in and, uh, handled the business. And, uh, and that was always good to see. So, um, I just want to talk about how stupid the NHL is. Jamie Ben. He uh, he got in on sportsmanlike conduct for squirting a water bottle at a player from the bench, and um, he got a five thousand dollar fine. <laughs> Dylan Cousins, he he could have really hurt Brock Nelson with that hit, and his fine was two thousand two hundred thirty five dollars and forty two cents. So there may be an issue with um, consistency with these fines. I I don't know, but it's just so goofy with this shit. Um, and it's, again, it's something I touch on with, with Phil, boy, the game was a lot simpler when you had frontier justice, wasn't it? It was just, uh, so fucking easy. And, um, you know, you did shit on the ice and you paid for it on the ice and nobody worried about going to Toronto or going to New York and what fines were going to be involved. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just lunacy. So, um, so I think that's about it, uh, for me on my intro today. Uh, for me, the, uh, 19 minute intro is actually short and sweet. So, um, my chat with Phil DeGaetano, DeGaetano, and you will, uh, hear me ask him that because, uh, I've heard it a bunch of ways and, um, uh, never actually said, Hey, how do you like it? Uh, how do you like it? But Phil, Phil is an interview that I really wanted to do. And, um, to me, Phil has, uh, Phil's career is like a three act play. And, um, the first act is basically his, his ice hockey, North American ice hockey career, starting with his, um, you know, local Long Island roots all the way up to, uh, finishing his North American career with Peoria. So that, you know, takes you through the USHL, takes you through college, takes you through the minors, you know, a couple of NHL training camps, to me, that's act one. And, um, and we definitely discussed that. And, and Phil played, he played in the American league in the mid eighties where it, it was the jungle. I mean, hockey in general at that time was the jungle. Um, the NHL was as tough as it gets. The American league was the jungle. The Western league was the, I mean, this was man. Oh man. What a great time for hockey. And, and Phil was right in the middle of it. And, um, and so we touch on that. We touch on his, um, his pro career, his college career a little bit. And uh, to me, that's act one. Then the part that, I, you know, I'm always interested in in the um, in the pro stuff, but really uh, because Phil and I share uh, Italian roots, uh, I was really interested in, in the international part of Phil's career because um, 
listen, I'm, I'm a proud Italian American. Um, I think I've mentioned it before. My father was born in Italy. Uh, it's something I, I wear with pride and, um, you know, to have an opportunity to speak to someone who played in Italy and, and I didn't know for how many years, uh, but Phil said it was six seasons he played over there, uh, capping it off playing for team Italy in the Olympics. I mean, that was, you know, like obviously the goal for any one of us listening, I'm assuming, well, no matter where you're listening is to play for your country and, um, you know, to play for team USA would be a dream come true. That's something that's not available to everybody. There's a lot more competition, uh, someone like Phil, he had the dual citizenship, easy for me to say, playing in Italy, and he had the opportunity to play for the national team. And, uh, you know, to me, like I said, I'm very, very proud Italian-American. And uh, that was, to me, act two of Phil's career. Very, very interesting stuff, and I'm glad we discussed it. And then finally, act three was his uh, RHI, you know, player and then uh, coach and GM you know, played with New Jersey, ended up coaching and being a general manager and building the team here on Long Island. Unfortunately, it was uh, it was for one season. I, I think it would have been amazing if uh, if it could have lasted longer than that. But, you know, to me, one of the reasons why I love doing the show is to bring you stories like Phil, because to me that is, and I said it to him, I, I think there's a book in there. I, I really do. And uh, Phil, I hope I hope maybe I ignited something here. Maybe uh, be interested in doing a book because um, I think that's just his his career is just different than most people. You know, it's most of the time it's you know guys. No matter what you play junior or college, then you play pro, whether it's NHL or the minors. Then maybe you retire and then you end up coaching or you just go on to a regular job where you know phil phil has so many different avenues that his career took him i think it would be pretty interesting so um you know i i've known phil i met phil with the the long island jaws thanks to artie artie verdi who uh, who we discuss in here and um artie has a pretzel store it's called Levittown Pretzel. So if you are in the Levittown area, go to Levittown Pretzel. Say hi to Artie. And uh, Artie's one of the good dudes. Really, really, uh, really, really fun guy. And uh, Artie introduced me to Phil back in the day. So um, so I thank Artie for that. And uh, Phil's always been a class act and uh, you know, good friend. And really happy that he gave me the time to bring you his career story. So um, with that, ladies and gentlemen, Here's my paisano, Phil DiGaetano. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is uh, an interview that I've wanted to do for a while because uh, my guest tonight, uh, if you if you want to know about New York, I got that. If you want to know about Long Island, we got that. He's uh, Italian-American like myself, um, you know, ice hockey, roller hockey. I mean, the man and, and an Olympian. So tonight's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, and Phil, I've known you for a little bit. And the one thing I didn't ask you while we were just bullshitting a little bit is I've heard your last name said two ways, DiGaetano or DiGaetano. What is the official way to say your last name? It is DiGaetano. Okay. Yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Phil DiGaetano, played during some of the toughest eras of, well, era of ice hockey. And it's a real pleasure to have you here tonight. Thanks for joining me, Phil. Thank you, Joe. Uh, it's been a long time. I haven't seen you in, in many years, and uh, I'm all fired up to be on with you, and uh, thanks for having me on. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. It's it's really my pleasure, and I'm really I'm really pumped for this. So, Phil, the first question I ask everybody is, uh, you well, you were born in Roslyn, New York, and uh, when you were born, there there was only one team in New York. The Islanders weren't here yet. So, is it safe to assume you uh, you grew up a Rangers fan? And if so, who were you as a kid? And and by that I mean when I was uh, old enough, and I'm playing street hockey, I always wanted to be Bob <laughs> Nystrom, Clark Gillies. Who were you? That's a great question. So, so when I when I was first intro, introduced to hockey, let's call it the late '60s, early '70s. Then um, you're right; the Rangers were the only team in town, and I was fortunate enough, Joe. The Rangers used to practice in it's now Iceland. It used to be Skateland in New High Park, and New High Park was walking distance from my house. So we used to get out of school early on Thursdays and we'd go up and watch the Rangers practice. And back then, Joe, I was right up on the boards and there was no glass. I mean, I could reach out and literally touch uh, Brad Park, Jean Rattel, Rod Gilbert, all these guys. Uh, So that was really my introduction. And then our next door neighbor was a sports writer for the New York Times back in the day, Jerry Eskenazi. He came home with Ranger tickets one night, and my father and I went to the game, and I walked down the rotunda at Madison Square Garden, and I saw the roof and then the ice, and it was it was all, it was all over from there, man. <laughs> now, uh, you you know this better than anybody. Right now, youth hockey on Long Island is huge. It's gigantic. Uh, but back when you were a kid growing up, uh, how big, or, I mean, big is relative, but, but how big was the scene back then? It has to be a fraction of what it is today. Yeah, there was a handful of teams, uh, you know, the arrows, the Royals, there was probably four or five, maybe six teams in and around, you know, greater New York. Um, and there wasn't a lot of rinks, uh, around and it wasn't as big, but, uh, it was, it was awesome. We played Youth hockey, travel hockey, and also high school hockey. I played for St. Mary's, and uh, it was awesome, Joe. We were going every, you know, Saturday, Sunday, twice a week uh, during the week with practices, mixing in, of course, Ranger games that I, you know, you have to go. <laughs> a lot of a lot of hockey on Long Island back in the day. Well, and and speaking of hockey on Long Island, and you mentioned Skateland, uh, I read uh, when I was researching this, I read that in the summers uh, when you were doing hockey camps at Skateland, you had a couple of pretty decent instructors in Ron Greshner and a guy named Brian Trottier. Yeah, that was amazing. That was uh, I was probably like fourteen or fifteen there, and I'm sharing like the coach's room. To my right is Brian Trottier. <laughs> At that point, he was arguably one of the top two or three guys in the world. I mean, it was it was amazing. And then across, as a big Ranger fan, Ron Greshner, um, yeah, it was an amazing. It was a two week camp, and then after the, the end of the first week, we go out for dinner uh, as you know, uh, instructors and staff, and we did it again after the second week. So I got to hang out and go out for dinner with these guys as a young kid. It made such an impression. That's that's amazing. I mean, yeah, it's not like it is today where you can just open up your social media and, you know, really you could send the message to whomever you want. It's right there. I mean, this was I'm just imagining myself being in that position where you walk into a room and there's Brian Trottier like you had to be starstruck. Yeah, totally. Totally was. man. It was amazing. And then, you know, of course, you get on the ice and you start fooling around with them Mm -hmm. and you can see just how 
unbelievably talented they are. And, uh, yeah, it was a special moment period of those two weeks, Joe. I really, uh, it really like cemented my love for the game, you know? Yeah. Uh, so now the first, first, um, I guess this was, uh, after high school, um, first, uh, stat line I saw was in 79, 80. You ended up in uh, Austin playing for the Austin Mavericks of the USHL. Now, uh, nowadays the USHL is, it's a pretty, pretty big deal. It's, a lot of people would say it's right up there with Canadian Junior, and it's a real viable option for people. Um, what was the league like back then in the late seventies? Oh, the league was the league was uh, nothing like it is now. Certainly not as big, and um, it was amazing because five or six of us, Joe, went out, you know, from Long Island, the Long Island area, try out for this team in Austin, and Austin's a, you know the, the quintessential. Small Midwestern town, 35,000 people, uh, big high school sports followers. Uh, so we went out there, the five of us, and, and we had, all ended up making the team out there. And we, uh, they put you with families, billet families. Um, but the league was great. I mean, it was much better than the hockey we were playing on Long Island. It was, it was, fighting was allowed mm-hmm. back then, and uh, it was... Yeah, it was uh, it was a great experience. It really helped me develop develop my game as a as a player for sure. And uh, and for the listeners, uh, I'm not talking about Austin, Texas. We're talking about Austin, Minnesota. Um, yes. And and you mentioned the other guys, so I, I listed uh, three guys I saw, but you're saying there was someone else. So I'm obviously missing someone. And I was I, my next question was going to be, how do all these Long Island guys end up in the USHL in Minnesota? I have, uh, Rick Gusamano, Alan Barth, Kevin Melendez, and maybe there was one other guy that you um, you guys just went and took over Austin, Minnesota. And the name you're missing, Joe, is his name was John O'Connor. Okay. Big stay-at-home defenseman, ripped. I mean, you know, made out of stone. He was chiseled, this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the connection there was Lou Vera. Okay. Lou Vera, you know, Brooklyn guy, he, he went out there and he coached. And uh, that was like the entryway for everybody else. And Bobby, there was, a, there was quite a few New York, Long Island guys who went out there and were able to then go on and play D1 college. So it was a good, uh, good stepping stone. One side note about Austin, Minnesota, it's the home of the Hormel meat packing plant. Okay. <laughs> so, yes. So it was a unique, uh, it was a unique uh, town in, in, in some regards. But I loved it out there. The people in Minnesota were awesome, great people, uh, and huge, and I mean huge, sports fans of all levels. Pro, college, high, they support high school Joe out there like like they do in Texas. You know, it's uh, it's great to see. Now, talking about social media earlier and just talking about the internet in general, I can just go on Google right now, punch in a few keystrokes, and I could see a camera or just a video of any part in the world. But back in 1979, a kid from Long Island, Austin, Minnesota, must have seemed like you were going to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I still remember leaving the house and my father taking me to the airport and, you know, the whole thing, uh, you know, framing it like, this is a test, I want to see how you do, because you know, the, the tryouts were separate, you know, you went out to try out and then you came home, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to see how you do, it wasn't, served, I was 16 at the time, I just turned 16, so it was a big move, but uh, I enjoyed it, I grew a lot, and I think it really paid off. 
Now, I, I know that you have a pretty big personality. Did you have this personality as a 16-year-old? And if you did, did people gravitate towards you? I mean, you, you I could imagine you were the stereotypical uh, New York guy now going to a small town Minnesota with that personality. Uh, did people gravitate towards you? Uh, I don't. Well, this one gentleman, uh, I have to say, uh, the first week I was in Austin, Minnesota, all the kids I learned hung out at the heart in the Hardee's parking lot. And this one wrestler from neighboring Iowa, 10 miles away, uh, proceeded to put it on me pretty good right there in the parking lot. The New York kid. <laughs> and he got me into a couple of holes, Joe. The harder I, more I tried to get out, the worse it got. <laughs> I walked into the billet's house my first week. I had a bloody nose. She's like, "Oh my god, what did we get ourselves with this?" <laughs> that was that was going to be my next question because also, uh, conversely, you get the people that say, "Oh, this is a big city kid." Oh, Saturday Night Fever, this and that. Like, I was wondering if anyone tried to challenge you, also, but apparently, even off the ice, they did. Well, the word got out after that one. Even though I, I, he gave it to me pretty good, I stood in there, and uh, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a lay down for him, you know. So, how did you find how did you find that caliber of play going from the long you know Long Island up to the USHL? It had to be a pretty big jump, and how was the adjustment? Yeah, the, the level of play was much better. It was a much quicker game, faster, stronger. Um, the kids were older. I mean, this was I, you know these kids were from 15 to 20. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that, that difference in age really uh, plays into people's strength and, and, and how strong they are on the ice. So yeah, it was, it was great, Joe. I mean, every game, there were scouts at every game, college scouts, pro scouts. So yeah, it was, uh, it was great. You know what? One area, one thing I should mention as an Islander, big Islander guy is where my game really also grew was, from that same age period, from like when I was 15, 16 to 22, even after I turned pro, the Islanders used to skate before training camp, like the last couple of weeks in August, the Caniac, mm -hmm. at Tridier's Rink in Port Washington, and they used to let me skate with them. Oh, cool. Very cool. Joe, for like summers, <laughs> for years. Yeah. I became friends with them, you know? And this is the, the glory years. And you know what amazed? Yeah, the glory years, right. Yeah. LaFontaine was regular, Nystrom, Flatley, all these guys. You know what I learned, Joe, skating with them in, in those summers? And keep in mind, it was August. Yeah. Brent, Brent Sutter. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Brent Sutter. <laughs> when they went in the puck, in the corner for a puck in August, I mean, it was like, all right, it wasn't Stanley Cup playoffs, but they were really competing. I was so impressed with how hard they could, even in, in summer hockey. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was something to, to experience. Yeah, it's just uh, when you say stuff like that, I kind of get goosebumps and then I get sad because it's really not like that anymore. Now it's like, you know, even in the NHL game, no touch icing. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there's no even competition to try to get down there. And you're talking about skating in August. And I'm just thinking about you at, at that age being out there with, you know, like you say, you know, Patty LaFontaine and Brian Trottier and Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom. I mean, uh, that's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. Joe, let me say something to you about. I've skated with a lot of good skaters. Joe Murphy um, comes to mind. But the most amazing, pure skater, not only fast north and south, 
but just as fast like this was La Fontaine. Yeah. yeah. Oh my, unbelievable man. Yeah. And he didn't need a lot of room to get get up to speed. He was like two strides. He was gone. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, I could wax poetic about Patty all night. I, I love that guy. I mean, yeah. f- forget about the player. I mean, the person. He's just yeah. he's just unbelievable. And we could talk about him for two hours if uh, if I don't cut it right now. But, no, I love that guy. And <laughs> it, it bugs me every time I, you know, go to the arena and I don't see his number in the rafters. And uh, I see other guys wearing it. And I know there was some stuff behind the scenes. But, I mean, that guy, he, he's got to have his number up there at some point. It's crazy. I know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. I think he's in the Buffalo Sabres rafters. Yeah, he is. He is. He's up there. There's 16 yeah. in the rafters up there. I mean. Yeah. What happened? There must Something must have happened there I, behind the scenes. It, it, I think, you know, like it, when he was here, it, it started when uh, when they traded him. He, he wanted out. But that was 1991. And then he came back. Uh, and then he was gone just like that when they brought in um, – Neil Smith. It was like Neil Smith and Patty were brought in, and the next yeah. thing you know, they're gone. So yeah. I really don't know, but whatever it, the issue is, I I hope it gets rectified because, uh, you know, I almost feel like with, with this organization here, you have the glory years and everybody knows them, and then you kind of forget. You kind of forget just how great he was because he came in at the end of the at the end of of that run, and then for for five, six, seven years, it was him, and that was it. Yeah, you know, but uh, but this is what I'm talking about. We could talk about Patty all night, but, uh, <laughs> but let's. Yes. I want to talk about your second year in Austin, and I I made note of another Long Island kid named Keith Martin uh, yes. from Jericho. He uh, he joined you out there, uh, but another name that jumped out at me, and it's a guy who you played with later on, was Rick Zombo. Yes, yes, Rick Zombo came my second year in Austin. Uh, the, the, the year before, I believe he was in Toronto playing with that St. Mike's. Mm. And then he went to, he came to Austin and he was, you know, he was one of the be- best defensemen in the league. He was a really good player. And uh, we went on a couple of recruiting visits together to Northern Michigan, which is where I ended up going. He ended up going to North Dakota. He had a great career for himself. I think he played 700 games in the, in the NHL. Uh, he played a lot of games, yeah. Mm. Good guy. Really good player. When when you're playing with a guy like that, and obviously at that point you don't know what your future is going to be, but and he and Rick was never like an offensive guy, total defensive defenseman. But can you kind of tell when you're out there, you see a guy like Rick Zombo, he kind of separates himself from pretty much everyone else. Uh, I don't know, Joe. I yeah. don't know about that. I don't yeah. think it's you know in the def- defensive defenseman role, it's more subtle, more mm-hmm. nuanced. It's not. It's not like a Lafontaine, right. where center is more, you know, the skating and the handle and the puck. When you're the stay-at-home D, you're getting it, you're moving it. You know, the less mm-hmm. they notice you, the, the better off right. you're going to be. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, you, but you could tell. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, he's very sound, and you know, he made some good decisions with the puck. Uh, but head and shoulders stand out. But I don't think so. I don't. I didn't see it. Okay. Uh, now, as a Ranger guy. Uh, how big of a thrill was it that second season that Lou Angotti took over as head coach? How how was that for a Ranger kid? Uh, that's interesting. Wow, Joe, you really <laughs> dig on the research, man. I'm <laughs> Thank impressed. you. Thank you. you. I appreciate Angotti. that. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I pride that's myself good. in this, so thank you. Joe, that's good. Thank that's you. That's good. All right. <laughs> 
Lou and God. So the second year was a little bit of a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went through like the team was sold away from the owner. It was a long, a lot of drama there. When Lou and God, he was one of the guys the new ownership from Chicago had brought in. He wasn't there more than three weeks a month. Okay. Um, but he was a nice enough guy, ran a good practice, uh, former Ranger. But, you know, at that point, uh, Joe, my Ranger history wasn't mm-hmm. what it is today. Right, right. I might, I I associated him more with Chicago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But the Paisano, of course. Yeah, you know, well, uh, of course, of course, yeah. of course. <laughs> so was college always uh, your first choice? Did you ever consider um, – Maybe going Canadian junior route, or or was it call? I mean, I, I'm guessing your parents probably wanted college 100 percent all the way. Uh, how did you come to that decision? Uh, it was college all the way. You know, mm-hmm. my since I you know got to go to college, got to mm-hmm. go to college. Uh, but in retrospect, you know, maybe major junior would have been a better road for me. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more more of a pro game. The college game is very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but uh, no, it was always college. You going to college? And was Northern Michigan uh, always on your radar? Were there other schools you were considering? I was talking to a couple of other schools, but Northern Michigan was the only one that came up with the you know the scholarship. Gotcha. Full you know full deal four years. So I was like, all right. Here I, Marquette, Michigan. Here I come. <laughs> Marquette, Michigan. Joe makes Buffalo look like Miami. <laughs> I love it. I'm not kidding, man. <laughs> they, the snow up there uh-huh. is incredible. Man. Oh my god! <laughs> so, so your first year there, you 36 games, 14 points. Uh, 34 penalty minutes. Now, we talked about your transition from local Long Island hockey to USHL. How was the jump to college now? It was a very, very big jump, Joe. The coach there at the time was named Rick Comley. And he was from the Mike Keenan School of Coaching. They, in fact, they're from the same area in Ontario, the Brantford area. Yeah. Uh, his practices were from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. The cafeteria closed at six thirty, and every day of practice, we'd skate from five fifteen to six o'clock, forty-five minutes hard. My first year, freshman year, before Christmas, I was so tired after practice I couldn't even take my gear off to get to the cafeteria before it closed. Of course, as you get more experience, yeah. it changes, but unbelievable. Uh, transformation just in how how fast the game was how hard the practice the practices Joe were unbelievably tough they were tougher than the games I bet it sounds like it three hours Ugh. hard man. <laughs> and then and then you're finishing up the last 45 minutes just getting back skating yes every oh. practice Thursday he would let his foot off the gas because we played Friday Saturday but we'd still skate on Thursday jeez I, I bet you were in phenomenal shape though I was in phenomenal shape, Joe, and I, when looking back on it, uh, I wouldn't have been the player I, I became without that. It really helped me. It's, really helped me. It's weird because you look back on it now, and 
that stuff would never fly nowadays. You know, it'd be someone's right. mom would be calling the dean, and uh, you know, it'd be yeah. all over social media. But you know, that's how things were done back then. And and really, like you just mentioned it, yeah, they were tough. They were probably excruciating and grueling. But you also just said you wouldn't have been the player you were without right. them. You know, so totally. Who was the biggest rival for Northern Michigan? Michigan Tech. And how how crazy were those games? Well, two hours up north of us, uh, Houghton, Michigan, very good school, Michigan Institute of Technology, very good school, and always had great teams. And their arena, Joe, it was very um, – the stands were right on top of you. Like they had a balcony behind the net, and the, the pitch was very deep, so it felt like the fans were right on top of you in Michigan Tech. And uh, we always had good games with them, and um, – yeah, we, I mean, we played them like four times a year for four years. And, uh, you know, they got the band. And it's just a great atmosphere. And uh, everybody's into it. And, uh, you know, there's 15 feet of snow on the ground outside. Nobody cares. <laughs> and, that, and that's in September, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> the lake. Lake Superior up there, Joe. It doesn't warm up until like the end of October. The next day. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> Oh man! So I see your second year. You upped your penalty minutes a little bit. How how comfortable were you that second year? Um, because I, I'm assuming you can only guess what's what's going to happen going in as a freshman. But now coming in as a sophomore, you kind of know what to expect, and it, it's a lot less of a guessing game. So was there not that you? I'm trying to phrase this right. Not that you took your foot off the gas, but I guess mentally it was a little easier to prepare going into your sophomore year. Yeah. I knew what to expect, uh, Joe. I, but some, you know, my sophomore year, I was in the Chateau Bow Wow for just about the whole year. Okay. It took me, it took me until like Thanksgiving, my junior year to get out of, out of the doghouse. Why were you in the doghouse? I don't, you know, there was, I, I may have had a bad stretch there where I wasn't playing well, and I think I pulled my groin. I don't remember what it was, but with this coach, and he was a great coach, and he helped me, but when he, like, put you in the doghouse, you, it wasn't a quick exit, and I was in there for, like, over a year. Wow. My, but I finally got out, and he may, ended up making me captain my senior year, uh, but I'm telling you, he had me playing forward, third line, fourth line, forward. <laughs> I thought my scholarship was in trouble there. Wow, that's, that's got to be a little scary. Calls calls me in at the end of the year. And says, so what's the future hold for Phil Vigatano? <laughs> I go, I guess, said D Gay Town. <laughs> you should. Said, he didn't like that too much. Yeah, you should have said, "You tell me. You got my balls in your hand right now. Right. It's exactly. kind of up to you." Oh man. So I'm going to jump to your junior year. I want to ask you about a couple of guys. One guy who I, I didn't know you played with, and uh, I actually met him years ago. He played with my friend Dean, and that's Gary Emmons. Uh, I met him in uh, Kansas City, and uh, you played with him. What are your memories about Gary Emmons? Oh, Emma, man. What, he's from Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. You know, all the guys from Winnipeg are great guys. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, great player, man. Very, like, shifty center iceman. Could really put the lotion in the basket. Um, and just a great guy. In fact, uh, when we finished our Northern Michigan careers, 
he was in the Edmund the Tin Oilers organization. I was with the Red Wings in the American League, and we, our paths crossed. We went out for dinner and had a few beers. Great guy, very underrated uh, hockey player. He play, I think he had a cup of coffee with Edmonton. I think he played a little with San Jose, but I, my my uh, memory's a little fuzzy. Like I said, I remember him uh, with Kansas City. But funny I think, guy. Yeah, I think he may have gotten a cup of coffee. I think you're right. Yeah, funny. Funny you did it, man. Another one of your teammates I want to ask you about is the brother of a, of a good friend of mine, Ron Chizowski. Tell me about brother Ron. Chiz. <laughs> Chiz. And from Ed, an Edmonton boy. Yep. Um, just the, the nicest, sweetest. I mean, everybody loved Chiz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he could shoot. His brother was known for the slapper. Yep. The half. Ronnie, the one that I played with, uh, had an unbelievable wrist shot. Mm-hmm. He'd pull up and like shift his weight and shoot the puck and beat goalies. But uh, he's another guy who got into the doghouse. With this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, I think he's still in that doghouse. I'll have to ask uh, Dave to check with Ron yes. if he's still in the doghouse. So, <laughs> but I'm a, just a great guy, man. Uh, Ron, yeah, an awesome dude. Yeah. Always had a smile on his face. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because every time I speak to Dave, I, I say the same thing. The thing I remember most about Dave is, and even though I think I think he's only a year, I'm a year older than him, I think, he'll always be the kid with that smile that I remember from his 18-year-old year. Like, I always remember that smile. So yes, it must be yes. it must be a Chizowski family thing because yep. I just he'll always be that goofy kid coming to Islanders training camp and just, like, I, I just love that smile. It always makes me smile. So it must be uh, how they were raised, I guess. They must have yes. good stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, that year, um, a, a coach who had some NHL time, uh, and a lot of pro time, who I believe went back there to coach uh, for a long time, is Walt Kyle. Uh, how did did Walt have any uh, impact on your game? So Walt, my freshman year, Walt just got into the coaching. He became like a graduate assistant or maybe even the assistant coach. Okay. And Walt's a great guy. And then Walt uh, overcame, has overcome quite a bit. Uh, you know, he, he beat cancer, I think, twice. Wow. Um yeah, Walt's a great guy. He was a great guy to be around, you know, uh, very bright guy. Um, he was on the coaching side, though. He was more like uh, the liaison between Rick Conley and the players. Mm-hmm. And he had a good personality, Walt. So, you know, occasionally we'd go for beers in the summer and uh, play golf. Yeah, Walt, uh, in fact, he was the assistant coach with the Rangers mm-hmm. uh, for a period there. I think when Eric Lindros was there. You might be right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was wondering if he was the, you know, like you say, and I mean, you know, you coach, um, the assistant coach is generally the good cop to the head coach, yeah. bad cop. So yes. you always yes. hope that the assistant coach is the good cop. So I was wondering if that's what Walt was. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally was. Uh, and he played that role. He played it well. It was, a, it was an important role for our team. And uh, yeah, he did a good job with it. So uh, I guess it was in between your junior and senior year, and, and this is something that uh, you'd have to definitely explain to me, tell me about if this is uh, – I guess it's an upgrade where Northern Michigan went from the CCHA 
to the WCHA. So is that uh, uh, moving up in uh, a different conference or just switching conferences? No, I think the WCHA was was a stronger conference for sure. Um, I'm sure there was some financial reasoning behind the move, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a step up in, in class for sure to go from the CCHA. We and we we knew it, and when we played the games, uh, it confirmed what, what we originally thought um, for sure. I mean, you have the Wisconsin, Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth, North Dakota, all these uh, these you know, powerhouses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, I remember a memorable playoff game against the University of Minnesota. In the University of Minnesota, their old arena, before the new one, it had the slanted, like, roof wow. at one end. I mean, so many great players went through that yeah. arena. Oh, yeah. From Paul Holmgren to Neil Broughton mm-hmm. to Mike Ramsey. We're playing them in the playoff game, and we're getting beat, and they eliminate us. We had, like, a brawl at the end of the, end of the game. Corey Millen was on that team. Oh, wow. Pat Micheletti, Maury Gare was on our team. We were, oh, it, was, it was a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. <laughs> so what's it like to wear the C? I, I think, um, I, I don't know, it seems like over the last decade or two, I think it's just it just becomes the best player gets the captaincy. And it seems like, you know, years ago, it, it actually was, even if the, if the best player wasn't a born leader or a leader, he didn't get a letter. And that was okay. You had your leaders and they, like, I, I'll never forget, like, the one that always stands out to me is a guy like Garth Butcher in St. Louis, where he's playing with all those studs and he's wearing the C, you know? Right. And I, I always like that where your point total doesn't determine wearing the letter and you wore the C in college as a senior. What did that mean to you? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable honor to be, to be named captain of a, of a hockey team, a division one hockey team. Uh, yeah, it was quite an honor. Uh, and along with the honor comes, you know, a lot of responsibility, how you go about your business from practicing to, you know, when you show up and, and all that stuff. It's all important. Uh, because it's all the you know all the little things that the team that, that that fester on a team that that help a team come together. But uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed it. Uh, I like the added responsibility. I think it helped, and I think it actually helped my game, my performance on the ice. Um, yeah, it's just a role you know from watching all the great players in and around New York who have worn the C: Roger Bear, Mark Messier, Gillies. Uh, pot, you know, all these guys, you know, it's a, it's an important, uh, part of a team and how that role is filled. So I, I think it helped me. So the line from Spider-Man is true with great power comes great responsibility. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Now I noticed also there was a, a large uptick in your penalty minutes as a senior. You almost cracked triple digits. You had 98. Uh, was that, uh, was that something that was uh, a conscious thing on your point or is it just something that seemed to happen, uh, during these games now? You know, they had a new, uh, person in the cafeteria and they just couldn't get my toast right that year. <laughs> you know, every time I got, by the time I got to the arena, I was just all out of sorts and I, you know, I got you just cranky. Yeah. I was, I was hungry. <laughs> Three, four years in Marquette, Michigan with that snow, Joe. I was ready to kill someone. You were ready for a New York winter. All right. So let me rattle off a few things from that senior year. You were all WCHA team honorable mention. 
You're all academic, <laughs> all academic team. Say that one again, please. The which one? The all academic team. All academic. Because yeah. maybe your friends that are listening won't believe you, but yes, yeah. at one point you qualified all academic team. Uh, now here, and I know you said the whole Ranger thing at that point was behind you, but it must be pretty cool winning a best defenseman award named after Tom Laidlaw, right? I mean, uh, you know, Tom Laidlaw best defenseman award. And then there's one award that uh, I'm wondering what the story is behind this person, uh, Dennis Sibilski Memorial Senior Award. So, uh, unfortunately, it always seems like these awards are named after someone who maybe something bad happened to. Uh, but can you talk about winning all those awards, all that hardware as a senior? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an honor to win that stuff, uh, Joe. You know, I mean uh... – especially with the type of role that I play on a team as a, when I play as a, as a defenseman, maybe I didn't score that much, but uh, to be recognized, it's always, it's always an honor and something that's very much appreciated. And, and you know, you got to recognize, support to recognize your teammates and everybody around you because nobody does it by themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so um, school's over now. Um, before you ended up in Indianapolis, what uh, what were your options? Was uh, did you have was were there any NHL teams interested? Um, basically, how'd you end up in Indy, and did you have other options available to you? So yeah, so I, you know they weren't knocking my door down after college. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I somehow finagled a tryout with the Rangers. You know. Oh wow! Okay. And my first training camp, Rudy Pocek and Mandel oh. Kushner both. Tattoo me. <laughs> I get I get sent packing, and I had a friend who was going out to try out in the eye. So I went out there with him, and Joe it was one of those years where no matter what I did, it turned to like gold. Mm-hmm. I got out of you know I did whatever whatever it was. I was just uh, it was just a great year. The captain of that team, Charlie Scott, was, grew up with Jim Devilano, knew Jim Devilano, yeah. called him. They sent scouts down to see me, and uh, and that's how I signed with Detroit. All right, so let's go back to Ranger Camp. I want to know what it's like <laughs> for a college kid to square off with the, a guy who was one of the toughest guys in the toughest junior league. What's it like to be uh, face-to-face with Rudy Poshek with no gloves on? So let me tell you something, Joe. Mm-hmm. You're right. I was in college. I didn't have, there's no fighting in college. I didn't know who he was. Okay. So he's like, I think he's, you know, I was, you know, on the larger size. Yeah. He goes, let me grab this guy. He's a college. It's going to look good for me, you know? Uh, my my forehead was all black and blue. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a disaster. <laughs> I tried to grab his pants. Oh, what a nightmare. Uh, I did better against Kushner, though. But um, Was Kushner in a rookie game, Islander Ranger rookie game? No, it was like an inter-squad scrimmage, man. We didn't even get to the rookie game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tell me Joe, about Kush. Tell me I'm, about the Kush fight. I'm two weeks off campus, Joe. I got the two toughest guys coming after the, the kid from Roslyn. It's not right. Oh, God, I just, like I said, I mean, when Rudy, we talk about you know, the era you played in, and Rudy was in the tough, I mean, hands down, the toughest era in the Western League at the time, and whenever you talk to guys that played at that time, there's a couple of names that always come up, and Rudy's always one of them, they always talk about the toughest guys, so, you know, maybe it was better you didn't know who he was. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, I knew who he was afterwards. Sure, absolutely. And I mean, it's not. Listen, I love Rudy Poshek. He's not. He's not pretty. So you had to just no, look at that face not. and be like, oh, he knows what he's. He's got to be pretty tough with that face. You know. That's a, you know. I got to be honest. That's a, I, I love Rudy Poshek. I was actually surprised that. Uh, he didn't get in a, a, a more of a look with the Rangers, uh, and I mean, I, I'm glad he ended up with Tampa and he got an extended look there. But you know, as someone who doesn't normally root for any Rangers, I mean, Rudy was always a guy that I, I loved watching him play, man, and I'm glad I never had to fight him. Yeah, no, a legitimate heavy. Yeah, uh, and he loved to do it. Yeah, he's one of those rare. You know, most of the guys, a lot of the guys, they don't enjoy it, but Rudy, yeah. I think he enjoyed it. Yeah. And then the other side of Rudy, I don't know if you know this, he was a chef. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, he loved to cook. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at Interesting. That. See, you learned something tonight. Yes. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Yeah, so, all right, we're going to dive into this Indianapolis Checkers year. Uh, and for those of you who don't know or are too young, uh, the Islanders, Indy was the Islanders' primary, primary affiliate for five seasons before switching to Springfield. But... Um, uh, Indy was a secondary affiliate for the Islanders the year that you were there. And there's a, some guys I want to ask you about. And this is what I was mentioning to you earlier when we were talking about the, the time period that you played in, especially in the IHL. There's really nothing out there on some of these guys. And that's why I'm hoping you can give me some firsthand stories. And uh, first guy I want to ask you about is Mark Magnin. Mags, yeah, Mags. Um, Mags is the first guy that I ever heard use the terminology. Now, keep in mind, now I'm, this is my rookie year. I'm in college. Mags is the first player I ever heard use the term tilt. Oh, okay. okay. Big tilt. Mm-hmm. Big tilt. I'm like, what's he talking about? Tilt. Isn't that like a pinball machine? Yeah. I didn't know. Yep. Uh, Mags, 180 pounds. Tough as they come, man. Mm-hmm. Tough. I mean, he had, I don't know what his penalty minute number was, Joe, but he had a lot of penalty minutes. Oh, I'm going to tell you right now. His penalty minute total that year with you guys was Three. he led the team with 279 in 69 games. So let me tell you my Mark Magnum story. Okay. Another Edmonton, an Edmonton boy. Yeah. Grew up, grew up with the Sutters. So Mark Magnum was on the team, did all the, you know, most of the fighting. We also had a guy on the team that you're going to know, Roy Sumner. Yep, he was on my list to ask you about. A storied AHL career mm-hmm. from Oakland, of all places. Oh, right? wow, that I didn't yeah, know. From, from Oakland, California, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Roy's like a, a, a KG vet. He's also doing a lot of fighting. So at the end of the year, Roy gets traded from Indianapolis to Muskegon. So Roy now is facing off against Max. They're buddies. Yeah. They, I mean, how many meals did we share together? Mm-hmm. Beers on the, bu- on the bus. They're buddies, Joe. We got into the play. We met them in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Muskegon versus Indianapolis. Joe, there was piles of, <laughs> I swear, there was puddles of blood all <laughs> over the guys. From those two guys. From those two guys fighting each other, mm-hmm. and for like line brawls in th- you know three of the six games, it was the wildest mm-hmm. series. I, I I'll never forget one fight behind the net between Roy and and Max. I mean, they were 
they were literally killing each other, man. It was, <laughs> it was wild. It was absolutely wild. Uh, now, those guys finished one and three that year in penalty minutes on the team. And the guy who was second is, I think, another character, Mel Hewitt. What do you remember about oh. Mel? <laughs> <laughs> Mel. So Mel didn't start the year with us. <laughs> I wish you people could see how Phil is laughing so hard right now. You can't see it. Obviously, this is audio only, but he's having a ball right now. So... So Mel, when Mel plays, he didn't wear a helmet. Okay. All right, so everybody, that should tell you where, where you're. Of course. Mel did not wear a helmet. Mm-hmm. Mel looked like the bad guy from, like, all the Westerns. Nice. <laughs> so, Very nice. Uh, nobody wanted to fight him. He didn't have to fight. Nobody, <laughs> they said, just leave Mel by himself. <laughs> Don't go near Mel. Because if you go near Mel... Yeah. You're going to wake up the bear, and we're all going to all be in trouble. Oh, my God. I'm not kidding you, Joe. Scary individual. And scary individual at the bar. Oh, I bet. I mean, and again, like we talk about, this is the mid-80s, so it's not – there's no uh, social media. There's no nothing. What what happens at a bar stays at the bar, basically, unless the cops are called. And even then, it might still stay there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Uh, Two guys I want to ask you about that you played with that ended up spending some time in Springfield after this. Uh, one was a guy named Mike Neal, and another guy is uh, Gordon Paddock, who people may recognize that last name, and that's John Paddock's brother. What do you remember about those two guys? Yeah, no, Mike Neal, I uh, was good friends with him, great guy, big, strong, stay-at-home defenseman, uh, huge. He was wrecked, man. Um, I think he's now a police officer in Ontario or something, last I heard. But, okay. Uh, uh, really nice guy, good guy. Uh, and Paddock, I know his brother, uh, who had who was a very good uh, AHL coach, uh, yeah. and also coached the Winnipeg Jets. Mm-hmm. Um, but both good guys, I remember them well. Uh, yeah, it was so long ago, man. Yeah. Um, but my, what I remember about Mike Neal was he was he was like 6'3", 230, but like no body fat, you know, great shape. Yeah, a really, really good guy. Now there was another name that struck me on this list. Um, is that the Don Murdoch that uh, that you played with in Indy? Is that uh, of the New York Rangers? Yes, that. And it's funny, Joe, because he was one of my favorite players. He was in my top three as a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I waited outside Madison Square Garden for his autograph. The whole thing. Uh, and then he, one day I get get to the dressing room for practice, and I hear the you know. We just traded for Don Murdoch. I said, what? <laughs> so, and let me tell you something, man. One of the great, just a great guy. An awesome guy. Uh, awesome guy to go out with. Just a really, really good guy. By then, his, his skills had deteriorated, but um, you would never know it by talking to him. And I got to uh, throw in a little shout out for a fellow Long Island guy who, uh, you would, uh, I'm, you might still keep in touch with, but you definitely uh, cross paths with him later on, and that's Andy Kazi. Yeah, Andy and I went out there together. Uh, we lived together, and uh, I saw him the other day at the Rankin Dix Hills. Mm-hmm. He's in the pro shop business. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Andy and I are still friendly, and uh, we still keep in contact. Now, I just want to point out your first pro year. You eighty. You, first of all, eighty games. So I mean, I'm sure you you were banged up a little bit, but you played the entire season. Uh, Forty eight points, first year pro. 
Yeah, Joe, I, like, I, like I said, that year in Indy, yeah. everything went right. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, you know, I shoot a puck at the net, and this guy the skate goes in, you know? It's like, and, and listen, I'm thankful because yeah. it helped me to get it, you know, get signed by Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I just loved Indy. Uh, it, was, it was a great city. It was big enough. Uh, the people were nice. It wasn't there wasn't a lot of snow. It was just a comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It was comfortable, you know. It was, uh, I, I really enjoyed it there. Uh, do you remember your first pro game with Indianapolis? Hmm. I remember an exhibition game. Okay. Uh, in Fort Wayne, which is the rivalry to Indianapolis, it's like two hours down the road, and Andy was playing in that game. Mm-hmm. And. Fort Wayne, I can't remember some of the names, but they had some killers. Mm-hmm. And there was fights all night in this game. And it was like one of our first exhibition games. Andy and I, I still, we still laugh about it to this day. We looked at each other, I, and we were on the ice. And we're like, oh, man, this, this league is tough, man. <laughs> There's a lot of killers here. <laughs> oh, man, that was, that was a tough league, too. Well, we're gonna. I want to talk about a few guys in that league in a moment. But my next question is: Do you remember your first pro goal? No. Okay. All right. And do you remember your first pro fight? I fought like eight to ten times that first year. You ha- you had to just yeah. to keep the flies away over there. Mm-hmm. It was. <laughs> so, uh, no, I don't remember that one. All right. So. I want to go back to what you just said about how tough that league was. So not only was the league tough, but it had some lunatics. Let's call it as it is. Uh, Toledo had a guy named Chris McSorley, who uh, I think had a pretty memorable fight with Mags. And um, also a guy like Robbie Nichols in Kalamazoo. Yeah. Uh, tell me, just tell me about, because you don't have guys like that in college. You, and at that point in USHL, you're not going to have guys, because it's just kids. So now you're playing, you're, you're a rookie playing against these seasoned pros, guys like Chris McSorley, guys like Robbie Nichols, guys that maybe I see their name and it doesn't necessarily mean anything to me, but not only were they tough, but they were, I mean, legit characters that movies could be made about. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I must have thought... Now, Chris McSorley, just so your your listeners can have an idea, he was no more than 5'10", 5'11", 180. Mm-hmm. And he had the face of like a... a I don't want to say, He had the face of like a, a doll, you know? He was yeah. like, a, looked like a little kid, you know? <laughs> he had almost 600 penalty minutes. He fought Mark Magnum. My teammate, they went down to the ice, and he bit the tip of Mags' nose off in the no. fight. There was a whole lawsuit. And all. Yeah. Uh, and I fought him, like, I, I fought him all the time. He was mm-hmm. just unbelievable. Uh, Robbie Nichols, who had an obscene number, of, I bet he, I think he had close to 600 one. Mm-hmm. He ended up being a teammate of mine in Adirondack. Mm-hmm. Great guy. And... And a very underrated player. He can really shoot the puck. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, great guy. But, you know, great. Nick Nick was a great guy. McSorley, I ended up working later with, with when I was coaching the Long Island Jaws. We became mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's still involved. He's coaching in Switzerland or something. But uh, pound for pound, I mean, I don't think they became much tougher than Chris McSorley. Man. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had that. Uh craziness to it and you just right. never know what you're going to get right right 
So tell me, uh, so season's over in Indy, and how did it come about that you signed with Detroit? Yeah, so Charlie Scott, the captain of Indy, called Devil Adams. You got to come down and see this kid. They came down, they scouted me. Um, I was very fortunate, lucky enough. They signed me to a one-year minimum contract, you know. Um, And that was it. And then once I got to training camp, I had such a good first training camp with the Wings, Joe. I thought I was right there, you know. They saw before camp even was over, and I got sent down to Adirondack. Before they they signed me to another year, one, so I had the second year. Um, but what a great, you know, I mean, what a great experience. I was on the ice, sharing a locker room, going to lunch with Stevie Y, Gallant, the coach of the Rangers, and uh, it was great, man. Awesome, Uh, really helped me uh, develop as a player uh, playing those two years in Adirondack. For Bill Deneen, who's in the he won two cups with Detroit. Yeah. Now, you, so you're in Detroit camp. Um, so obviously, Steve Eiserman, one of the best of all times. Adam Oates, one of the best uh, playmakers of all time. Detroit also was pretty tough back then. Uh, <laughs> you you might have shared the locker. You might know some of these names. Like you already mentioned, Gerard Gallant. You know, a uh, guy named Basil McRae. Was he there? Uh, and a couple of guys. Uh, Probert and Coser, did you ever hear of those guys? <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, they ring a bell, actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah pro, I mean, I played with both of them. Uh, and, you know, you, I, I'm not telling your listeners anything they don't know. Scary yeah. tough. Mm-hmm. And those and those guys, similar to 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 uh, Rudy Pocek, is they enjoy, I think they enjoyed it. They like to watch the videos and study it and practice. Um you know, two different types of fighters. When mm-hmm. Proby would string you out and just go forever, and Joey had the big, the big bomb from the right hand. But really, the op- sweetheart guys off the ice, really nice guys. Um, but um, you know, you didn't want to fight them. I made a list, Joe, of like my toughest guys that I saw both Proby and Koster on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but no, no, talk- go ahead, go ahead. I was going to mention I also played with. Tony Twist. Yeah, so we're going to talk about him. All right, so yeah. I'll leave that one. He yeah. deserves his own segment. That's true. That's true. Well, just talking about a couple of guys that you played with there, I mean, uh, I mean, I think everyone knows uh, Gallant because, you know, playing on the line with Steve Eiserman and, and, you know, Gallant's a warrior, does whatever he can to win, and obviously he's a tremendous coach. Um, he's a character, but I think – were you around Basil McRae and Harold Snaps enough to to really get a feel? Because I think those two guys have a reputation as being real characters that played the game. Snaps, he got sent down, um, and we were, I think we were on the road at the time. If memory serves, we were in Rochester. He wasn't down that long, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think he was very happy to be sent down. So yeah, he I wasn't <laughs> he wasn't very jovial. Yeah. Know? But a nice enough guy. We went out, hung out. He was a big boy too, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. very big. Um, who was the other guy? I you didn't asked? know uh, in uh, training camp if you uh, got to know Basil McRae at all. He was no, he got moved. Uh, oh, okay. He signed that big ticket, which at the time was like a million dollars for four years. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Where did he? Who signed him? Uh, did he, was it the uh, stars? Yeah, the stars. he went to Minnesota because he was yeah. bouncing back and forth between Quebec and Detroit. It seemed like, and then he ended up with Minnesota. Right. So, mm-hmm. okay. 
So um, you get to Adirondack. Uh, another, you know, another good season. Thirty points, seventy-eight games. Uh, now you're going from the IHL, which was a heavy veteran league. Now you're in the yeah. in Adirondack in the American League. Uh, obviously, it's got to be different kind of intensity. You know, you got the young, hungry kids looking to make it to the next level. Uh, what did you notice about the difference in the two leagues? Yeah, there was a big. It was a big step up going from the I. To the, to the American League. Um, and Adirondack had won the Calder Cup the year before mm-hmm. with Rick Zombo. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so it was a, there was a lot of Barry Melrose was on that mm-hmm. team. Uh, Sammy Samaran, Jordy Robinson, Eddie Johnstone. Um, Martin. So there was a lot of veterans. Uh, and it was, you know, it was Bill Deneen was the coach. I mean, he won two Stanley Cups with the Detroit Red Wings. So it was, a, you know, another great learning experience there. Um, yeah, and the competition. I mean, the game. And we played Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. By Sunday, you just, your legs are just done, you know. Yep. Um, but a great, great league. I mean, I think you could take 30 40% of the players in the American League and put, put them in the NHL. And you probably wouldn't even know the difference. Oh yeah. Now was uh, I think everybody knows Barry Melrose now was the commentator, and when he was coaching LA with the mullet and everything like that, was he was he a character back then too as a player? Yeah, one of the best team guys. Great mm-hmm. in the room, great on the bus, hilarious, um, great guy. And you know what, uh, Joe? He I think he had 170 pins that year yeah. in, in like 50 games. He was. We didn't have a lot of guys who were doing a lot of fighting, and he stepped in there. He was, I think, over 30 at the time. Wow. He was player assistant coach. Okay. Great guy. One of the best One of the best guys I played with. Uh, tell me about playing with former Islander. I mean, at the time was his first team, but Doug Huda. Yeah, Dougie. Uh, good guy. Him and I were you know, defensive partners and played together. Uh, he was a high pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he figured in their plans, and... Uh, you know what? I think he's had a really good career. He's he played a lot of games, and now he's he's assistant coach. Yep. Um, really good, good guy. Good guy. Um, is it true? Well, maybe not at this point, but again, I keep going back to characters. And you, one of your goalies, uh, who ended up playing a little bit with the Rangers, uh, I heard that Mark LaForest, when he would play, he would keep a pack of cigarettes in his jock. Is that true? <laughs> he would carry his cigarettes no, no. in his cup. He, he didn't keep him in his jock. He, he kept him on the crossbar, you know, close by. <clears throat> I was good friends with Trees. Yeah. Uh, we, we connected via Twitter. Um, great guy. Great. One of the great guys, man. Uh, love, tw- love Trees, man. So when I had asked you before about Zombo um, in the USHL, if you could tell – uh, you know, a skill level being higher than everyone else. Maybe the guy I'm going to ask you about is more appropriate because you played with a young Joe Murphy, uh, very, very high draft pick. I, was, he, was he number one pick? Or, or yes. Or, yeah, number one pick. Uh, and at that point had to be really raw. But uh, how how was watching Joe Murphy in his early stages? Incredible. I yeah. mean, uh, just un- an unbelievable skater. Uh Great shot, great vision, great passer. He had all the tools, all the tools as an 18-year-old playing against men. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And you know what, Joe? I think he had a good career. Yeah, played man. a lot of games. Uh, won the Stanley Cup with Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I lived with Joe. Joe and yep. I were roommates. I knew his family. We were very close. In fact, I'm sitting on the couch a couple of years ago. I, I get a call from a, a reporter in Toronto who wrote the book on Finding Murph. Mm-hmm. Rick Westhead, I believe his name is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Joe was, you know, he was just 18 at the time. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was smoking like Pittsburgh. He used to eat these popsicles with the sticks. Yeah. And he used to leave the sticks all over the house. <laughs> I used to go, and they stick to the furniture and shit. I'm like, Joe, man, clean this shit up, man. Go, <laughs> yeah, I'll get, that. I'll get to it later, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of a sad story, Joe, because yeah. I was close to him, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then I... years later, when I'm coaching the Jaws, we were playing in New Jersey at the Brendan Byrne. He mm-hmm. was doing a promotion or something for some equipment, and he was there. We saw each other. We hung out. Really good guy. Yeah. So I'm so sorry to hear about what's going on there. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a terrible situation, and it's, you know, it, it's bad I mean, to say it's bad is silly, but it's sort of like he had the opportunity. A lot of people wanted to help him, but it it almost seems like he's content with what he's doing now. So at that point, then everyone else on the outside has a decision to make. Like, do we just leave him be? Because he seems like this is, you know, let's say what he wants, but, you know, in his state of mind right now, he's, this is what he wants to do. He doesn't want anyone's help. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, I found out later, Joe, through this reporter, that this, not only the concussions and mm-hmm. the CT and all that stuff, but the, there's, a, there's a history of, like, mental oh, okay. stuff there that I didn't mm-hmm. even know when I lived with them. Right. This right. reporter informed me. Um, so that's, it's it's just a tough situation. Man. Um, you mentioned him before, and uh, I always like to ask about coaches, but for you at your career at that age, how important was it playing for Bill Deneen? Yeah, Bill was Bill was great, man. Bill was uh, Bill was old school. Mm-hmm. The practices were you know forty five minutes, fifty minutes, um, good pace, good tempo. He expected you to work hard, but he had so much experience, Joe. Mm-hmm. And he you know he, and he was such a nice guy, nice man. He, he would deliver the message uh, in a very very subtle ways. Um, but I, I enjoyed my time playing for Bill. Uh, I learned a lot from them. So, um, I was able to locate, not the video, but the list that you had, uh, I mean, minimum of four fights that rookie year. Uh, you didn't pick on little guys. You picked on some, some big boys with some experience. So I'm going <laughs> to throw some names at you and see if, uh, if any of them ring a bell. Uh, and I'm going to go in reverse order because the last guy was a, a Springfield Indian. Uh, Darwin McCutcheon, who I believe was at Moncton at the time. Does that ring a bell? Oh, it not only rings a bell, but would you like to hear about that fight? I want to hear all about it. Okay. So we're playing Moncton in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I'm with Adirondack at the time, and we're the two least penalized teams in the American hockey. We get into a playoffs, best of seven, first round. We set penalty minute records. There were 10 fights a game. Wow. They had a few guys. They had Gary Roberts. They had they had a few guys who were really mm-hmm. tough. This kid McCutcheon was like 6'5". Yeah. 
All right, so here it is, Joe. Here's what happened with me and, and McCutcheon. It's the elimination game. I think we beat him in five. It's like five minutes to go. And he takes a run, and we come together, and I hit him with a straight right, right above the eye, and I caught him. Mm-hmm. We go down to the ice. He jumps on my back, and he bites me oh. in the lower back. Oh, God. <laughs> Joe, I let out a scream. I don't know if you saw the movie Platoon. Yeah. Like, oh, I let out a scream. They could hear me in oh. Freddy Beach. <laughs> After the game, Bill Benin takes me into the referee's room, out of the locker room. We walked out to, the, to show the referee the bite marks in my back. Oh, shit. To make sure that this kid got suspended, mm-hmm. you know, the next season, you know, because they were eliminated. Right, right. Oh, my God. Did he break the skin? Joe, I never felt pain like that, Joe. I, have... my, I swear, <laughs> I got stiff. I went, oh. Did, did you have to get a rabies shot or tetanus? Yeah, man, I, I had to get all kinds of shots. Joe. Oh, fuck. That's crazy. In that same game, Gary Roberts hit a teammate of mine, Dave Coral, with a left. Davey had to stay in the hospital overnight because they were afraid he might lose his eye. That's you know wow. how tough Gary Roberts. Yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. a lefty. Damn, you know? wow. Joe was a vicious series. Mm-hmm. Terry Crisp was the coach for yep. Moncton, mm-hmm. and he's a screamer on that bench. Yeah, oh yeah, he's got that voice too. That that big raspy booming voice too. It was it was one of the craziest series, like the my indie series with Magnum and Roy Summers. That's mm-hmm. like it was. It was, I'm telling you, seven, eight fights a game. Wow. That's tremendous. And it was normal. It was like, yeah. oh, this is wild. It's the wild. It, it's the American League in the 80s. That's yeah. the, I mean, it's the greatest. <laughs> so working our way backwards, uh, Jim Thompson, uh, Binghamton Whalers. You remember fighting Jim? Did I fight him? I, didn't, I don't remember that. A- according um, to the log that I have, it said you did, but I'm guessing either he knocked you out and you don't remember it or you just don't remember it. Yeah, that could be. No, no he was tough. He yeah, was he's tough. real tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy who, uh, you know, made his bones with uh, Philly, uh, Don Knockbauer, Hershey. Uh, I fought Knock I fought Knock in the American League. Yep. Uh, and I fought to a draw. You know, he'll tell you he won, but I think it was a draw. <laughs> yeah. And then I fought him again in, when I was playing in Italy. He was playing for a team called Graz in Austria. Oh, okay. And we, and we fought there again. And how'd that one go? About the same. Okay. He had long arms. Yeah, okay. It was a little awkward. Well, you got pretty long. You're a big dude. You got to have long arms, too. Yeah. All right. And uh, the one I wanted to wait for, um, Springfield Indian fans are familiar with the guy known as Moose, and that's Glenn Johannesson. You remember fighting him? Did I fight him? Yeah, I think I did for him. Yeah, I think he might. He's big. He's a big dude, so. Did he go on to, like, USA Hockey? Is that the same? He no. actually went on to become, like, a dean of, of certain colleges. Like, he actually went to to uh, the college route, but as, like, an administrator. I so, remember fighting him. I think I beat him. Okay. All right. Well, listen, I there's no wrong. way to prove it. I, I have to see. I don't think I have the video, so I'll take your word for it. All right. All right. <laughs> so uh, one guy, so you talked about the playoffs, but one guy I want to talk about, and I think this guy is universally loved, uh, a guy named Adam Graves. Did he join Adirondack for that playoff run? He was there. He came. 
when his junior season was done and he mm-hmm. came, he was there for the last few weeks in the playoffs, very quiet, very, you know, respectful as the young guy. Uh, but he was, he was massive, Joe. Yeah, you don't yeah. realize how big that guy is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, and you I mean, can't move him. You can't move him from the crease. Yeah, There's well, no way. Th- those, that year he scored the 50 goals for the Raiders. Yeah. You know, it was like Tim Kerr in the crease. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he went on to a great career, two cups. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I love him. I love him. He's he's tremendous. I would say him and uh, him and Patty are probably two of the nicest humans that ever walked the earth. And it's yeah. I'm glad they played in you know New York. So they, you know, like everybody knows. Well, maybe they don't, but like Adam Gray's parents with the uh, the foster kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just you know, like I said, with these people, it's easy to see where it comes from. You know. Yeah. Totally. So, so going into that second year with Detroit, now you have the the first pro season under your belt. Uh, you're coming off that wild playoff series. You've been through an IHL camp, an NHL camp. So uh, and you said you had a great first camp. How was the second camp? Second camp was good. Um, you know, it's funny, Joe, because at that level, they're constantly this new blood coming in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now there was even more defensemen that I'm competing with. Guys like Steve Chason. Yeah. Um, there were a few guys. So it became more competitive and, and tougher. Um, but I thought I had a good camp. You know, Jacques, I think Jacques Demers liked me. And uh, I know Jimmy Devlano liked me, mm-hmm. uh, who I'm still in touch with to this day, uh, Joe. We still keep in touch. Oh, I love Jimmy. I, I'd love to meet him one day. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, that's to me, he's the unsung. You know, everybody knows Al Arbor and Bill Torrey yeah. and those guys. But I always feel like Jimmy doesn't ever. I mean, I think the diehards know. The diehards know what he meant to the the dynasty teams, but I think it's the casual fan who who really they associate him with Detroit, but they don't realize what an impact he had with the Islanders. So, Joe, that's my that's my like story with my buddies that I grew up with. I'm like, yeah, the guy who signed me in Detroit after we have a few beers, the guy who signed me in Detroit also built those Islander dynasties. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. there's that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a guy I would love to have a have a cup of coffee with or something. I think it'd be great. Amazing. Oh, he could chew he could chew the fat, believe yeah. me. Um in that second camp, I think uh Detroit had signed Mel Bridgman. Did he wear that goofy Jaffa helmet in that camp? Uh, or <laughs> <laughs> the you know what? I helmet? Think he did. I think he did. He had that helmet and that mustache. Yeah. You know, so uh, but he's another tough guy. I mean, people go back and watch his fights with the Flyers. That guy could chuck him back in the day. Yeah, but I've seen Bobby Knight kick his ass. Well, Bobby Knight did that to most people. He did. So, no argument here. You know, you, I love that man, so that's okay. Um, yeah. A couple of tough, you know, like you say, new blood coming in with Adirondack. There were a couple of guys that came up that year that had really good NHL careers. Uh, one was Chris King and one was Randy McKay. What do you remember about those two guys? Oh, man, I remember them well. Chris King had some... He had some wars with Ken Baumgartner. Baumgartner was on New Haven. Yep. Uh, Chris King, man, he was as wide as he was tall mm-hmm. and tough. And he made he, uh, talk about pound for pound strength. Chris King was unbelievably strong. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy McKay is from Montreal, uh, Michigan Tech. So I knew him from college. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a very he was an underrated skill guy. He could really skate. I wouldn't call him a finisher or a scorer, but he could see. And he was tough. He made himself into a tough guy to get into the NHL. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That wasn't his game at Michigan Tech, believe me. No. 
Um, really have a lot of respect for Randy McKay because uh, of how he, you know, what he had to do and how he changed. And because uh, I know his game, he, he was an unbelievable skater, Joe. And and it's funny because when the Red Wings signed Troy Crowder, and uh, then I think it was McKay that was given back to the Devils as compensation. And I think at the time, Randy McKay was really only known to people in Detroit or Adirondack. I think Devil fans really had no idea what they were getting back. And, I mean, the guy was a mainstay with the Devils for so many years and the cup cup teams and everything. It ended up being a steal, actually, for New Jersey. Lou knew. Lou knew what he was getting. Well, Lou is Lou. I mean, he's the the best. So, uh, you know, he he always knows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One other guy you played with that – I want to ask you about, he's an undersized guy, but he played big and he was another character guy. Uh, what do you remember about Al Conroy? Oh, Al Conroy. He was good. Another good play. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was a really skilled guy. He could score, could, you know, could finish. He wasn't very big. Yeah. He wasn't very big, but he'd get right in there, man. He'd stick his nose right in there. There's um, a player uh, you probably you may have played against. You probably did either with that Arondek or um, or um, Maine Rod Dahlman. He would have been with Springfield. And I remember when I had Rod on the show, and I had reached out to Al Conroy, uh, and he goes, "Oh, tell Rod, ask Rod about the fight we had." Now I don't have video of it, so I had no idea. And he goes, "Ask ask Rod. It was a great fight." So I remember when I said to Rod, he goes, of course he asked you to tell me about that when he kicked my ass, you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, so I was like, oh, he got he got one over on me, and he made me ask you there on the air. So, uh, But, yeah, I mean, I remember Al Conroy from Philadelphia. I mean, he, they loved him there for a short time, just a little guy. I have this picture of him and Brent Severin. Like, it would be face-to-face if Al was bigger, and it's like Al Conroy's <laughs> looking at Seve's uh, Florida Panthers. He's looking at the logo. And Sevy's just like looking down on him, and Conroy doesn't take a backward step. I give him credit. Yeah, he was that. That's out. That's yeah. it, man. So I have a re- again, and how, how official this is, I don't know. But I got you having nine fights the second year, and uh, I'm gonna throw some names out at you. See if uh, a if you remember, or you know, we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, first okay. guy. Uh, Trevor Steinberg, Fredericton Express. Yes. You yes. remember that fight? I do. That was in Freddie Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, he he fought a lot. Yeah. He you know he had a lot of penalty minutes. Uh, he was a pain in the ass. He'd go around jamming you yeah. and talking shit. So I you know, I'd probably backhand him. And probably <laughs> you know one of those. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Freddie B. How could you not remember Freddie? B? Joe, it was so cold in Freddie Beach, man. You couldn't stay outside. <laughs> and you had maybe, to be inside there. Maybe that's why they always had those tough teams. I mean, the Express always had tough players. Uh, Freddie Canadians always had the tough players. Maybe, uh, I don't know, they were tough, and then you just, it's always so cold, they just get tougher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Um, uh, now, this guy I don't know much about. I don't know if he was a scrapper or whatever. A uh, guy on Rochester named Trent Case. Ring a bell? Trent. Don't remember him. Okay. Uh, a guy who has a reputation as being a pain in the ass. Uh, Craig Duncanson of New Haven. You yes. He was the first round of that kid. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, a bit of a ball buster out there. Yeah. He's, I think he jabbed me with the stick. So same thing. So we, you know, we, uh, 
we've we've wrestled around for a little bit, you know, called each other names. <laughs> <laughs> Calling them names. Yeah. Uh one of the McRae brothers, we talked about Basil, uh Chris oh, McRae, yeah. Newmarket. This guy was this guy was a royal pain in the <laughs> Yo, know, he was much smaller than Basil. Mm-hmm. You know, so he had to, you know, do that. But uh, yeah, But he had his crazy. good looks though. Yeah, <laughs> I think I fought him in Newmarket, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yep. Mm-hmm. So remember how it went? Uh, I think I beat him, mm-hmm. but I, I can't be sure on that. Okay. A uh, couple of guys uh, that were with Nova Scotia: uh, Mola May, NHL vet, and Dean Hopkins. Oh wow, man! You pulling out these names? Yeah, Joe. I got impressive. Mola May. Yeah. Mola May, I and eventually became teammates with in Maine. Great guy. Yeah. Um, who's the other guy? Dean Hopkins. Oh God, I think he was with Edmonton for a while. I uh, think, yeah, and he spent some time with um, Halifax too, in the Quebec yeah. organization. Um. Yeah, I remember fighting him. It was in Glens Falls, in Adirondack. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering if a friend of mine who used to sit right behind the bench used to say, uppercut, uppercut, if that's the fight. <laughs> All right. Three more names here. Uh, two guys on Sherbrooke, and I think they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. One, I don't think he ever fought, and one, he'd love to fight. Uh, Gilles Thibodeau, former Islander, and former oh, Islander farmhand Rick Hayward. Oh, my God. I don't remember either of those fights. All right. Well, hopefully, I mean, Hayward's a tough guy. Hopefully, I thought you were going to say, like, Mario Robert or Serge Robert. And I'm like, no. I was going to say, I don't, I don't have you fighting them, but, uh, no. you know. But I know Rick Rick played on the edge, so he might have done something to you that made you mad. Okay. Um, but he would back it up. Gilles must have just been at the wrong place at the wrong time. So, right. <laughs> right. And, of right. course, um, you know, someone that you mentioned to me that you fought. I don't know how many times you fought him, but um, Islander fans know him. And if you listen to this show, you know I love this man, Mick Vakoda. So uh, tell me about uh, – I know you fought him at least once, but uh, how many times you come across Mick? Yeah, yeah, Mick, uh, I, I think I fought him twice. Mm-hmm. Mick, similar to Chris McSorley, Mick wasn't when – he, when he first came into the American League, he was not a good skater. And he made himself into a serviceable – player who could go up and down um, and through hard work. So I have a lot of respect for Mick. But he used to fight, like McSorley, three, four, five times a game. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he was go. the gloves were off with Mick. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> they yeah. were off more than they were on, mm-hmm. believe me. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think I had a pretty good fight with him, man. He yeah. was, uh, I think I did pretty good against Mick, but uh you know, that, that's a long time ago. So could have went either way. You know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, you did it. You know, like, that's yes. the thing. You know, that that's the thing. Like, I, you know, I, I get, I roll my eyes sometimes. I'm going through social media and I see these, uh, the armchair quarterbacks, you know, criticizing guys here and there. Like, I, I posted something last night about uh, Ross Johnston. You know, I played his 100th game last night and, uh, I just said that's a hundred games more than all of his critics on social media because, yes. you know, people don't, you know, I, I'm not going to get on my soapbox for too long here, but I just say like for someone like yourself, someone like Ross Johnson, you know, Mickey, people paid you guys to play hockey. So yeah. you obviously did something right. Like you did something that 
you know, all of us would love to do. And like, you know, it, to me for these, the new age fans, you know, with the blue hair and the, you know, the, the pictures of their kitty cat and their little profile picture and the soy <laughs> milk to, to make fun of a guy like Ross Johnston. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's got a hundred NHL games. It, it's like, it just, yeah, it just makes me laugh. But uh, you know, like that's why I always a uh, part of the reason why I love doing the show is to highlight guys like yourself and and guys who do the job like that because I I do think especially nowadays um you know especially with the era that you played in uh it's important to to keep these stories alive and, and keep you know your story alive and everybody's story alive because it, it, the way the game is now and the way the game is going it, it it's really you know it's not for me and um you know, it, it just, I just feel like not that I'm doing a service, but it's something I enjoy hearing the stories and you just got to keep these stories out there. Cause, uh, cause you guys deserve it. No, I hear you, Joe. Uh, you're right, man. You gotta, you gotta tell the, the our history of the game in certain years. Um, do you, you don't watch any, what do you have? Which hockey are you watching, Joe? Uh, just the Islanders. That's it. I can't. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you I could say this to you because you remember, remember back in the day, you know, sports channel, you get the Islanders devils. Then you might get like the LA or San Jose games late. You may get, you know, I used to tape all those games. I used to watch, you know, because there wasn't DVR. I would tape all those games. I would watch them from start to finish. Yeah. And it was like, it didn't matter who it was. It could have been Winnipeg and Minnesota on a Wednesday night. I'm going to tape right. that game. I'm going to watch it just because I loved it. And yeah. now, um, you know, it's pretty much just the Islanders. Uh, you know, last year when I wasn't working, I got the AHL package. So I watched Bridgeport a little bit. Um, oh. But for the most part, it, it's really just the Islanders. I'll tune into some teams like the Rangers, you know, cause they have Reeves and, and earlier in the year when Tenorti was up, um, you know, is he the, tough? Is he tough, Joe? Tenorti? Tenorti? Yeah, it's pretty, t- you know, you know, Mark's son. Yeah. He's pretty tough. He's a big hitter and everything. So he's pretty tough. Yeah. So I, I enjoy watching. And, and honestly, like the other night when the Rangers played the caps, if nothing happens in the first period with Reeves and Wilson, well, I don't need to watch the rest of the game because you know it's not going to happen later on. So right, for right. me, it's pretty much just the Islanders nowadays. I don't know about you. No, I watch uh, – I'm all, all about the Rangers. I yep. watch the Islanders and Devs. Uh, let me ask you, do you remember the fight? Bob Trover, Mark Tenardi, the father at MSG, Prober just put it on him. Man. Yeah, Tenardi, number six. Yep. I remember that, yeah. Tenorti was with the Rangers. Yes, he was wearing number six at the time, I believe. It may have been Probert's rookie year. I mean, he hit him like yeah. ten times. Uh, here's what I always remember about Tenorti. I was always afraid someone was going to hit him with an uppercut and he was going to bite his tongue off because he always, always fought and his tongue was sticking out. If you yeah. ever watch a video of a Tenorti fight, watch. His tongue's always out. And I'm like, if someone – like, if he fought Lyndon Byers, who was the king of the uppercuts at the time – I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna cut his tongue off, you know. But uh, you know, that was a that was a bad trade by Espo, and I I love Phil Esposito, but I I heard the rumor is he traded to Nordy because they were uh, in Montreal or something. It was like frigid temperatures, and he didn't have an overcoat, and he thought he had rocks in his head or something. And you know, they just uh, I don't know if that was the whole thing, but uh, <laughs> Tenorti would have been a nice uh, a nice fixture on that blue line for 15 years with the Rangers. Yeah, no, he went on to a good career. Yeah, guy was solid, man. I mean, he fit right in with those Caps teams too at the time. But yeah, I mean, I remember that Prober fight. That was 
phenomenal. But Tenorti, man, that guy's tough as they come. He really, yeah, no, he is. Mm-hmm. So um, how'd you end up in Boston? Was it a trade? Was it a free agent uh, signing? Free agent. Up there? Free agent. Uh, yes. Uh, Milbury was the coach there. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked playing for him. I know people find that hard to believe, but uh, <laughs> he was a fiery guy, you know, uh, now, yeah. now, was he was the coach in Maine at the time, right? Yes. So, um, was it Sinden was the GM in Boston? Was Sinden the GM? Was I don't it Sinden or um, who, Gordy yeah. Clark was the assistant okay. coach? Yeah. Okay. So, Milbury but, but was you the coach. you went to camp with the Bruins? No, I didn't go to camp. I joined them in like after camp. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So you didn't get to teach camp yeah. really anything. No, I wasn't in camp with him. Oh, okay. Okay, so then you just went right to me. Right. Okay. So, yeah, so now you talk about Milbury. I mean, here's the thing. Obviously, I don't really care for the guy. I've heard enough horror stories about him, and, uh, you know, I think he's all about himself. But I do always – you know, when I interviewed Rich Pilon, you know, he has a lot of glowing things to say about Mike Milbury. Um, one of my favorite players of all time is Eric Cairns, and without Milbury, Cairns may not become an Islander and then develop into what he did. Uh, I think Milbury was the reason why Steve Webb got a chance to to become an NHL player. So he wasn't all bad all the time. So, you know, as much as I don't really care for him, it makes me happy to hear that some people that he, he did right by some people. So you could tell me about, uh, about playing for him. So one night, Joe, we're in Sherbrooke. It's a suburb of Montreal playing the Canadians American league team. And we, on our team in Portland, Maine, the Maine Mariners, we had a center iceman named Stevie Tajor. I was going to ask you about this story because I know the yeah. story, but I want you to tell it firsthand. So Stevie was a good center iceman. Um, and every time he stepped on the ice in Sherbrooke, the organist would play like a Chinese diddle. Yeah. I didn't even notice it during the game. Mm-hmm. But every time he stepped on the ice, the guy would do it. So I'm sitting on the bench, and uh, out of the corner of my eye, and this is also, this arena in Sherbrooke is a very steep arena, mm-hmm. the seating. I see Milbury racing up the stairs. I'm like, where is he going? And he's like in a full sprint. Mm-hmm. The organist in this arena is near the roof, and it's you need a fire escape ladder to get to him. <laughs> So I see Milbury going up the stairs, and now I see him trying to jump and get the fire escape ladder. He reaches, and he grabs it, and he's starting to go up the fire escape, and they grab him. Guys were over the boards, you know, six, seven rows deep. Turns out Milbury was going after the organist because every time Stevie DeJour stepped on the ice, that the organist would play the Chinese diddle, and Milbury thought that was disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it that's was great. Wild. It was a yeah. wild scene. And that's that's the thing that makes me mad about him sometimes because I to me that's such a great story. Like like that's the that's the guy I thought the Islanders were getting when they signed yeah. him. Like I, I, I admit it, I mean it didn't work out like I had hoped, but when they first brought him in, I thought he was what they needed. Like I yeah. really did. I, I was like if anyone's going to straighten this organization out, it's him. I mean, and it didn't work out that way, but that's the guy 
yeah. that I thought they were bringing in. That's a, I mean, it's a shitty story, you know, that, that the the organist did that to Steve. But what, I mean, have a coach do that for you? Like, how do you not feel 10 feet tall after that? Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, I mean, he, he'd come in, break sticks in the locker room. I mean, he was very fiery, emotional guy. He would get you fired up. Yeah. For sure. Uh, one of your partners in crime that you now you played forty two games. You did have one hundred fifty six penalty minutes. He got uh, me fired up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you had another guy in the team that would get fired up. Uh, what was it like playing with Bruce Shoebottom? Oh my God, the shoe, shoe. <laughs> Shoe's a great guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is the biggest head in the professional sports. <laughs> He is the biggest head in professional sports. Shoe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. I connected with Shoe on LinkedIn. He's doing great. Mm-hmm. Great great teammate. A lot of fun. Uh, oh, is he funny, man? God. <laughs> he uh, Talk about a mountain of a man, Joe. He was mm-hmm. like, he was as wide as he was tall. And I think he was like 6'1 or 6'2. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was just... He was just naturally funny, man. He was just a, oh, my God, shoe was classic. Yeah, he had to have broad shoulders to fit the name on the back of the jersey, you know, or else yeah. it would look like a Red Wings jersey with the uh, the arc. When he got called up to Boston and he scored a goal, they they threw shoes on the ice. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean that guy was <laughs> that guy was made to play for the Bruins. Yeah. You know? Like he really was. I remember here. I think it was uh, mixed rookie year. I think they fought here at the Coliseum or his second year, and I just remember seeing him. You know, because like I see these guys, but then you see him close up, and I'm like, oh my god, that that guy looks fuck. He looks mean. You know, but right. uh, he he definitely fit the mold. That's for sure. Oh, did he ever? Uh, you reconnected with Mike Neal that year. He played there. And yeah. uh, also, Carl uh, Mokasak played there. He Was he a veteran at the time? Yeah, Moki was a veteran at the time. He did a lot of fighting. And what I remember about Moke is you could swing and miss, and he'd still get cut. <laughs> he was a bleeder. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he didn't get a black eye or a cutter in his face from... September through April. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> that American League was no joke, Joe. Dude, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that you, you keep saying that because I, this is around, you know, when I first really became aware of the American League, I don't know if you remember the show they used to have on called Rinkside. And that was the show that had all American League highlights and it was on here on Sports Channel. I remember I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, that was really the show that really brought the American League into my living room. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, this league is incredible. And then, you know, talking about no internet, so you can't just go on Hockey DB at the time. I'm waiting for, like, the Hockey News year-end issue with all the stats and just looking at some of the names. And I'm trying to just get as much of that league as I can. And then finally I get my license and I can start going to games and, Man, that those were some. I mean, for me, watching the game on the on the other side of the glass, that was a lot of fun. I'm sure there were some nights where it wasn't so much fun, but uh, the, to me, that was uh, that those '80s American League games, and even extending into the '90s, were uh, were something special. Yeah, completely polar opposite of what how it's played now. Yeah, completely, completely different. 
Yeah. I mean, there's no coaches going up trying to get to the organist here. I mean, first of all, the organist would get canceled by social media and rightly so. I mean, uh, in this case, I would agree with it, but you know, I kind of like the whole frontier justice attitude where we're going to take care of it on our own. Don't cancel the guy. Just let me grab that ladder. I'll handle it and it'll never get done again. You know? So, uh, I got you as 10 fights this year. Okay. So, uh, again, we're going to throw some, we're going to play name association. Okay. Um, so I never heard of some of these guys. Uh, Martin Nicoletti, who was apparently someone in Sherbrooke. I don't know if that rings a bell. Never heard. I can't remember. Yeah. No. You probably skated over him trying to get at uh, Mario Roberge. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> uh, Kim Issel from Cape Breton. Oh, jeez. I, I know the name, but yeah. I don't remember going with him, though. Okay. Uh, Mad Max Middendorf, Halifax Citadels. Oh, he's on Twitter. I yes, see that guy. Max. Yes. He's, on, he's on all over social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fought that guy? Apparently. He probably did something to piss you off, and he, he'd readily admit it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to tweet him that we fought. Yeah. See if he remembers. <laughs> well, yeah. That's funny. Now, uh, I remember I, him. I don't remember fighting. I think he's huge. He's like six, eight, right? Yeah, he's from he's from Jersey. Is he? Yeah. Oh yeah. shit! Two East Coast boys going at it. Great guy, Mag- Max. He's great. He's a great you know. Guy. Just you know, I got to know him over social media. Great okay. guy. Great guy. Um. So now it does have. I did see that, and maybe you don't remember this, but. I don't think you guys actually reached a fight, but you and Chris McSorley did come together and get roughing penalties in a game. Did he try to bite your nose too, or what? <laughs> well, in Indianapolis, I must have fought him three, four times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't remember this. Okay. Yeah, he was up in New Haven for a while, and I was in No, I don't remember that, Joe. Okay. Well, he was actually, at the time of this incident, he was actually with Springfield. He spent a little time in Springfield. Oh, oh, yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Okay. Um, now, you mentioned him before. Did you not fight Mario Roberge? Because according to the list that I had, you fought two guys on Fredericton that year, and one was Jocelyn Lemieux, and one was Mario Roberge. Really? I don't remember that. Uh, maybe. I mean, it could be wrong. Could be wrong. I mean, I'm just saying I want to throw at least tell you that. They were, there were two brothers, Mario and Sir. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mario was the smaller lefty if I'm not I mean, Sir the Surge is a monster. Surge is on my minor league Mount Rushmore of enforcers. Oh totally. Absolutely. He's 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 one of four I have on my Mount Rushmore. Who are the other three? Uh Dean Ewan, who you played against, I think, oh, in Springfield. Yeah. Todd's brother, right? Yep. Cousin? Dean uh, brother, Dean Ewan. Um I don't know if you've seen a lot of him. He's play, he still plays Breck Gallant. Uh, he was in Bridgeport for a while. He's actually playing in Cleveland right now. If you're if you're ever at home, you want to do a deep dive and watch someone that is probably the toughest guy in hockey right now. It's Brett Brett Gallant. Mm-hmm. Wow, really, really tough, undersized guy. But where's he from, Joe? PEI, just like uh, Gerard. Oh, he's from PEI. Yep, wow. and he's got a brother playing. His brother Alex plays, I think, um, with the Heat. Uh, Stockton Heat, I think. I mean, the 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 PEI guys, you know, they're they're fucking crazy, and and Brett Gallant, I mean, really tough, and he's done it for a long time. So, I actually removed Dennis Bonvi from my Mount Rushmore and put Brett Gallant on there. Oh, and, wow. uh, and the fourth guy is Jerry Fleming. I don't know if you remember him. 
I know the name. I don't remember. Fred, it would have been with, I don't know if you ever. He might have come in after you uh, with Fredericton. And he was a monster. He's a monster. He's coaching in the East Coast League. So those are. Uh, okay. The issue is, you know, you could. It's subjective, obviously. Uh, you know, you played against guys. I mean, I wouldn't put like a Probert on that because he's an NHL guy. But, yeah. uh, you know, Dean Ewan, Serge Roberge, Jerry Fleming, and Brett Gallant. That's my Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I'm telling There's you. There's one guy who was a longtime minor leaguer that called up to Dallas. Fort Prober when Prober was on Chicago. I can't think of his name, but he was really tough. Mel Angelstead. Yes. Very tough. And again, if anyone has Mel Angelstead on their Mount Rushmore, absolutely deserves to be there. <laughs> he hit Prober yeah. with a shot. Absolutely. Totally heard of, man. Mel Angelstead absolutely deserves to be there. The problem with the Mount Rushmore is there's only four spots. Yes. But yes. the Mangler absolutely deserves to be on anyone's Mount Rushmore. Is he still playing, Joe? No. No, he's a fire. You know, a lot of the guys go into firefighting. He's a fireman now. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's a fireman. Um, one other guy I want to ask you about. Did you fight Alan May? Who would have been with, uh, yeah, I guess, Cape Breton at the time? I don't know. I thought he was in Springfield. No? No, because he was originally an Oiler uh, prospect. Yeah, I fought him. He fought everybody. He was another guy who fought everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I lied. There's one more guy. Do you remember fighting Jeff Medill in Utica? Jeff Medill. He used no. to play with the Devils. Jeff Medill. He was more of a. Uh, he actually could play. I mean, Jeff was actually not a bad player. Uh, but he also didn't mind uh, playing on the edge. I did, I don't remember him. All right. So now, uh, you're with um, you with uh, Maine. Now you get traded. Boston trades you to St. Louis. For someone I never heard of named Scott Harlow. Never heard yes. of him before this. Um, so was that Milbury trading you? or was Yes. That, so Milbury trades you. So I go home from practice one day, Joe. It's February. And I'm taking a little nap. And the phone rings. No cell phones in those mm. days. And I'm like, I'm not answering it. <laughs> Damn, I'm trying to get some sleep, you know. Rings again. Like five minutes, like two minutes later. I go, something's going on here. Mm. I knew it. I picked up the phone, Milbury. It's Milbury. He goes, we traded you. I go, where? He goes, Peoria. I go, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you couldn't trade me to, like, San Diego yeah, or Florida. Yeah. You got to trade me to Peoria. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so obviously, it wasn't something that – I mean, listen, you're going to go where you go. But, yeah. yeah, San Diego would have been much more desirable. Of course. Mm-hmm. But now you find you find yourself in Peoria – now let me throw out some names here. I'm gonna I'm gonna obviously save the best two for last. Um, old, you and these three guys were on Peoria at the same time. Robert Dirk, Glenn Featherstone, and Lyle Odenline. Only oh, got traded before I got there. Okay, all right. So yeah. he was gone. But you, yeah. Featherstone, and Dirk were all. You guys were three of the six defensemen. Yes. Jesus. <laughs> were you the smallest guy of the three? Yes. Which is crazy. <laughs> I lived with Dirk. He was a great guy, man, from Saskatchewan. Um, Undercover tough, man. Feather was a good guy, too. Man. Mm-hmm. He played with the Rangers. Uh, he was a monster, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't afraid to scrap. He'd throw no. down. Um, Mark Somier was there, right? Yes. Pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, he used to stay, take his shirt off at the front of the bus and do like a Hulk Hogan <laughs> You know, flex and tell the guys in broken English and French. He used to goes, 
look and enjoy, boys. Look and enjoy. <laughs> The, the bus used to break up, man. It's hilarious. Oh, him and his, and they had a brother Ray, uh, that played also in the American League. And uh, God, talk again. I keep saying it. Talk about characters, and I think that's really, you know, when when the changes come to the game right now, I think you lose guys like that. And totally, you know, and and uh, you know, like you say, there's nobody doing that on the bus right now. Um, no, but you remember it all these years later because it, you know, you never know. Does, does he do it after a big loss and he's trying to break up the tension, or right. does he do it after a big win just to keep it going? Like it, you know, like you lose guys like that, and I think it's, uh, I think it's sad. So he used to do that, Joe, in Peoria, and you got to remember who's on this team: Kelly right. Chase, mm-hmm. Tony. Tw- They'd be giving him the business. Yeah. Oh, you know, put your shirt on. <laughs> Go to the weight room. Oh. It was funny, man. And, and Chaser is one of the best. It would, oh, with, is he uh, ever? Chaser is like Dwayne Johnson on the mic. Like with, Chaser can give it to anybody. Yes. Mm. So tell me about playing with Chaser and Twist. I mean, these are two young guys, teammates in the Western League, teammates here. Uh, tell me about those games. Both great guys. I became very friendly with them in my time there. I was only there for like three months, but mm-hmm. great, great guys. Um, Twister had a fight in Peoria against the missing link Geths mm-hmm. at center ice. I was on the ice, Joe. Mm-hmm. I was from here, you know, two feet away, and they're trading them. When you hear, you could hear that the meat was like the yeah. butcher, <laughs> the sloppy. <laughs> the... Oh, Tony, I gotta give Tony the, the edge. He got him yeah. down, he hit him with a couple. Of... But I never saw guys trade. I mean, I played with Probert, mm-hmm. and it was like, these guys were, you know how Twist fights. Yeah. You know I mean? It was incredible. Um, and they're, like, friendly off the ice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Twist, he, he was, best man at his wedding was Kerry Clark. They fought a bunch of times. Yeah. You know, they were teammates in junior. They, they, they fight all the time, and they're, he's the best man at his wedding. Yeah. You know, and then even with uh, – when when Twist is at St. Louis and Kelly Chase with Hartford, I think at the time they said Twist was renting Chase's house, and they yeah. fight in that game, and they're they're best friends. So yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But uh, I I mean, Twist is just he's a machine, which you yeah. know, and that was young Tony Twist. But I I gotta imagine playing with Kelly Chase. It must just be, I mean, just what a personality. It had to just be a riot all the time. Oh, it was it was it was a laugh a minute, man. It was. It's funny because my first year pro with Indianapolis, right out of college, and then my last year over here before I went to Europe in Peoria, those were like two of the toughest teams that yeah. you could ever imagine, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, five or six guys on each team just loved to scrap. Mm-hmm. But Chaser was, a, you're right, Joe, he was a great personality, uh, kept everybody loose, great one-liners, very funny. Um yeah, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> I can't say some of the stuff on, on, on the air, but it, believe me. Uh, had the league changed a little bit in the few years that you were gone? Because I think uh, it seemed like more teams were using IHL teams as their primary affiliate. So you may have had, uh, not with all the teams anyway, but with some of the teams, uh, an influx of some younger players. Did the league change a little bit from when you were with Indy? 
Um, what do you mean the league when I was there versus like, now? Or? No, like when from when you the time you were with Indy, then you left to go to the AHL for a couple of seasons, then you came back with Peoria. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think the league was a little better. Yeah, yeah. I think it, they they got younger and uh, there was less veterans who didn't want to go to work and stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a good point, Joe. I think the league did get a little quicker, a little stronger, a little better. And then uh, we can't get away from these former Rangers. Uh, your head coach in Peoria, Wayne Thomas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very was, quiet. Yeah. Very quiet, soft-spoken guy, but he did lose it a few times. Um, a real gentleman. I really, a real gentleman. I really like playing for Wayne. But see, those are the guys you have to worry about when they lose it, because you expect a guy like Mike Keenan to lose it. You expect the hothead, you know, Barry Melrose, he's going to lose right. it. When you have a mellow coach and he loses it, that's when you have to know that they mean business. Right. No, unless, totally. You're right. Unless they turn around and give a wink to the assistant coach, like it's all for show, but, you know. <laughs> now, I only know of one fight that you had in the IHL with uh, Peoria. That was against Todd Hawkins. Well, actually, he was a pretty tough guy, pretty underrated scrap. Yes. He, uh, he fought Mick uh, he, during one of his stints with Vancouver. He fought Mick Vakoda. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people really realize how tough that guy was. He wasn't very big either. Right, right. Uh, but I don't know if he had any other fights in Peoria. Uh, I don't remember. I don't mm. remember, Jeff. All right. I, I had a lot of pins, so I must yeah. uh, I must have had a couple. All right, so let's uh, talk about some of the guys you played against. Because while the league may have changed a little bit, there were still guys like Stu Grimson and a young Stu Grimson running around for Salt Lake. Uh, Mitch Wilson with Muskegon, uh, Kevin Evans, and and someone who I didn't know a lot about, but when I interviewed Dean Trebojevic, it's a friend of his that was with the Admirals, a guy named Tim Molly. Uh, I don't know if you remember playing against him. Apparently, he was a really big, strong, tough guy as well. Uh, talk about playing against guys like that, like Stu and Mitch and Evans and those guys. It's funny because Kelly Chase and Tony Twist, they're very friendly with Stu Grimson. Yes. From, they're like from the same town or they hang out in the off season. Mm-hmm. So we're flying out from from the Midwest, pure to Salt Lake, the plane. And all they're talking about was, wait until you see the size of the Grim Reaper. <laughs> I had never seen him before, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Look, wait until you see the size of this guy. He's a killer and all this. But it was funny because on the ice, the Grim Reaper... He, he was only like he never touched anybody dirt in a dirty way right. or never mm-hmm. hit. But chaser and twist, you know, like the other team's tough guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Grim Reaper. Oh man. Uh, Evan, Kevin Evans, man. He was mm-hmm. another guy. Yeah. Over five hundred pins. Yeah. I mean, he hit everything. I don't know how the human body could endure how that how physical he played. Yeah. Joe, he finished every check. Yep. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that takes a toll, man. Oh, yeah. And and that's even a guy like Mitch Wilson. The, he was a small guy, too. Uh, I don't know if you ever played against him, but he's a small guy that, that fought a ton. And, you know, it's just like these are guys that were willing to pay the price. How about the Riz, Gary Riz? Oh, did you play against him with the, yes. the Lumberjacks? He was on both. Yeah, the Skipjacks. Skipjacks, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... That guy's a total character. I mean, oh, oh these names is getting goosebumps Tommy McVie. here. Tommy McVeigh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tommy McVeigh. Yeah. All these old names. These are classic guys, man. These are these young kids will never get it. They'll never get it. Wayne Van Dorp. 
Yep. Oh, yeah, the Dutchman. Mm-hmm. Talk about a big head. Him and Shoe could have a race that soon got the biggest head. <laughs> They're like uh, <laughs> those guys that race, was it, in um, the the Washington uh, Nationals? They have that race with the mascots. Oh, the presidents. And they all have the yeah. giant heads. Like uh, it, It's probably like that. Although I'm making fun of two guys who will wipe the floor at me, so I better stop. But, you know, <laughs> so – what uh so after that year did you play at all between um 88 and 92 before you ended up in Balzano did you play at all yeah so it's funny hockey db has 3 years of me missing yeah uh i did play i was in a town in italy called Murano. okay uh for a year and a half so I came so like the halfway point and then i went back the following year so so you were done with north america at this point Yes. Okay, so I, I just I don't want to interrupt, but I want to know how it came about that you went to Italy. Obviously, the name. I think we both have uh, parents that were born there. So, yeah. so tell me about how you ended up in Italy then. Yeah. So you you know because of my uh, lineage, I'm I'm eligible. I was eligible to become a dual citizen. Okay. So I got my Italian passport, and uh, that. You know, being a dual citizen allowed me to play there, and uh, not as an import, as a, as an Italian, and uh, which is it's, the league is ninety percent Canadians yeah. do the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. yep. it's pretty good hockey, Joe. Believe it or not, it's a great, it's a great lifestyle. Play half the games. Um, living in Italy, I don't have to tell you how great that is. The yeah. food and everything. It's a pretty good deal, um, and uh, yeah, because I was able to get that passport. Uh, it allowed me to go over there and play, and uh, it was just awesome, man. I mean, I can't, you know, I won a championship over there in Murano, mm-hmm. uh, played in the Olympics, but uh, the caliber of play, I would, I would equate it to just a hair under the American League. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. You know, there's a lot of good former NHLers mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. You know, the first two lines are good, and then the third line is a big drop off. Mm-hmm. With the, you know, they have some of their regular players and stuff. They're trying to develop them. But yeah, the first yeah. two lines are North Americans, get, you know? So so were you uh, – so I didn't – again, I didn't see any stats for you back, you know, up until 92, 93 with Balzano. Um, and you led the team in penalty minutes with 40 penalty minutes. So obviously not the most physical of leagues. But did, could well, you – Can I say this to you, Joe? Yeah, please. Not a physical league, mm-hmm. but – I'll tell you something, man. It was they're bad with the sticks over there. I saw one of the worst incidents I've ever seen in my life in a game in Bolzano. Okay, we're playing against um, Allegay. Mm-hmm. Allegay has a guy by the name you might know him, Carmen Vanny. Okay, S- second rounder to Detroit, big big winger. He comes together with Bobby Mano playing the NHL. Yeah, yeah. Bobby was on my team. Bobby elbows. Uh, Carmen elbows Bobby, and Bobby was like the godfather of Italian hockey. He was like 37 at the time. He didn't touch Bobby, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Bobby takes his stick, turns it over like Hook McCracken in yeah. slap shot. Mm-hmm. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. And went from ear. Car- Carmen Vanny had a mark on his neck from ear to ear from no Bobby's stick. No way. If he did that over here. He'd get a lifetime suspension. Yeah. Oh God. He'd be in jail. So it wasn't physical right. hockey league, but mm-hmm. when they brought you over, they played half the game, and it was the stick. There was a lot of and a lot of bad stick work there. 
I got you. Uh, so you ended up, so you played Bolzano, then I have you going to uh, Milan. So yes. what was it like play? I mean, just hockey aside, like for someone like, like you, I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. Like you were able to play over there. Just, I mean, at that point in your life, were you married? Did you have a family? Were you able to go there, say with your wife and just absorb all the culture? Yeah, no, it was amazing. Uh, I wasn't married uh, at the at that point, Joe, when I was playing in Milan. Mm. Um, I did meet my future wife while playing in Milan, but oh, I wasn't nice. married when I was there. Um, it's like New York City, Joe. Yeah, I mean, you 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 hit traffic in Milano at four o'clock in the morning, just <laughs> like New York City. It's like the belt. <laughs> yes, it's crazy. <laughs> And the Italians, they do everything slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything's domani, domani, until they get behind the wheel of a car, and then it's like the, the Indy Five. It's like they go, it's like a race, you know. Uh, but what an experience, Joe! It's one thing to go to Italy for a couple of weeks on a vacation; it's another thing to like live there, you know. Yeah, yeah. You just get into the hole. I had my coffee place where I got my USA Today. You know, I made a lot of friends away from the rink. Um, it was great. It was so amazing. So how many years did you end up playing there? And I want to touch on the Olympics after this, but all told, how many years did you end up there? Six seasons. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah. That is absolutely amazing. Um, so how did the Olympics come about then? So what, So after you play in a country for three years and you're a dual citizen, you become eligible for the national team. So I played my three years. I became, became eligible in 94 and former, don't you know, former Islander and Jimmy D draft choice is the Olympic coach, the late, great, I might add, Brian Leffley. Okay, okay. Yeah, original yeah. Islander. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, he was a great guy. Mm -hmm. I just ordered his uh, hockey card on eBay because I was thinking about him. Uh, he was highly, highly regarded in European hockey circles. Okay. Um. A hockey lifer, loved the game. He was just a positive guy to be around. That really, really liked playing for him. Mm -hmm. And he liked the fact that I was from Long Island, and yeah. that's where he broke into the, you know, so it was, but um, he was, you know, he was coached in Switzerland, all the top teams, and uh, I, I just loved playing for him. I thought he was a great guy. Um, so you're playing for the national team, and now – was this the national team that you would play in the different international tournaments, or was this specifically for the Olympics? So it was all geared to the Olympics, which were in February in Lilyhammer. Mm -hmm. And the Olympics were great. My family had about 25 people come over to Lilyhammer and watch. It was awesome times. I'll, I'll never forget. But what was equally great was, and I think it was even better competition, was the World Championships that year, 94. It was held in Italy. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it was, and the Canadian team won it, and that Canadian team had players like Sackick, Rob Blake, <laughs> Robitaille, Pat Verbeek, Ricci, uh, Bill Ranford was the goalie. I mean, it was amazing. Um, yeah, so that World Championships in 94 was, uh, was some great hockey. And the Italians, we did good. We finished fourth that year. That was the highest ever finish. Joe, I'm coming out of the picture this if you can. This tournament took place in northern Italy, where World War II was fought there. So we played Germany in an important game. We beat them. 
I'm coming out of the locker room after the game. And there's all these old Italian people. I'm like, what's going on here? And they were like so emotional about it because we just beat Germany 3-2 and the history between the two countries. Yeah. And uh, it was really wow. uh, a moment I'll never forget, man, beating yes. Germany in, in that part of Italy there. Wow, that's that's intense. That really, it's you know, it's funny because you always you know people are like sports are just sports, this and that, and there are moments where sports is more than just sports. Yeah, you know? and and the Olympics are a perfect example of that because you're not playing for an organization, you're playing for your country. And now the story you just told, where you have these older Italian people, where it's not just a hockey game, you just right. did something that it brings back so many emotions for them. That's, that's intense. That's an amazing story. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it certainly moved me at the time. Yeah. You know, I was like, wow, man, it was incredible. Uh, yeah, something. Now, were you on the top defense pair for the team in the Olympics? Uh, you know, who's on that team? Bill Stewart, a former Islander coach. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Playing as an Italian. As I, I was going to say, it. Stuart doesn't sound very <laughs> Italian. Uh, I was in the top four. I was in the top four there. I was wondering if you were, um, if you start, well, the first game, if you were maybe starting that first game, like, you know, before the game, just to have a chance to step on the ice and kind of take everything in, like playing for, for Team Italy, like what that would feel, what that feeling was like, or what was it like putting that jersey on? Like you're playing for the national team, but now you're playing in the Olympics. Uh, it's got to be crazy. It was incredible, Joe. Let me, let me tell you about the arena in Lillehammer. Mm-hmm. So you, I'm sure you, as a kid, you watched Batman when the Batmobile used to come out of the Batcave, yes. right? Like the tumbleweed and stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. So picture that, but for an arena. So we pull up to this arena outside of Lillehammer, and it looks like a mountain. I'm like, what are we doing here, man? And all of a sudden, the mountain opened, and you drive the bus in, and the bus fits by like an inch. <laughs> and you get in there, and there's like a 16,000-seat arena inside this like sh- this 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 mountain. Wow. And, uh, yeah, my family was there. It was amazing. Um, you know, we opened up against Canada. I got a funny story. So we opened up against Canada. They had Peter Nedved. Korea, they had a whole, uh, but we're playing the Americans and Long Island brother, Peter Ferraro, mm-hmm. Mike Emmerich's calling play by play. So Emmerich, who, you know, is a great announcer, Hall of Famer, and I'm not taking, so he made a bad call. He said, Ferraro's coming down the ice. DiGatano falls, trips, Ferraro's, and he scores. So you look at the tape, it wasn't myself who fell down. <laughs> But all my family and friends are watching it. They don't know. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like a standard joke. I had to inform them when they came back that, well, you know, but we oh, have a good laugh about it, you know? Oh, man, that's that's crazy. Um, I just, I, I just wish that, uh, like, all the stuff is cool, but this was really, like, you know, being that, you know, I have Italian heritage. Like, my father was born there. And, like, I think at least one of your parents had to be born there, right? My grandparents. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just like, you know, no matter who I interview, I really you're the only one that I'm ever going to be able to talk about Italian hockey with. So it's just like I have so many things going through my mind right now that just is is just so amazing. Like, I So just, here, here, here's one for you, Joe, the Italians. Okay. So we're on the plane. We're flying. 
and they get you know you get all this this swag, Joe. Mm-hmm. This gear they give you, yeah, tons of stuff. Cool, you know the Italians do it right with the clothes, oh, yeah. right? So we're on the plane and our gear, and we're flying from Lily uh, from Milan to to Lilyhammer. And sitting in the next row for me, I got Alberto Tamba. Okay. I got all these cross, you know, all the winter s- sports athletes. Yeah. So the Capo de Tutti, the, the, the president of the federation, gets on the mic on the plane and he says, Alberto Tamba, you know, we expect you to win the gold medal. If you win the gold medal, we're going to take care of you. And then he goes to the next athlete. And he goes, uh, if you guys win the gold medal, you're going to get you a trip to, you know, Sardinia and all this crap. And then they go, the Italian hockey team, if you guys, if you guys win a medal, we're going to take you to Rome. We're going to introduce you to the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> and this is all in Italian, you yeah. know. It was oh, hilarious. Yeah, because we were heavy, heavy underdogs. Yeah, man. yeah, it's <laughs> a pretty safe. Imagine. It's a pretty safe thing to say, you know. Yeah, so, but <laughs> we're not winning the gold. That would have been uh, the Italian version of miracle. Yes, you know. Yes. Um, so, um, so your uh, your time in Italy is done. Now, are you looking to come back to North America to play, or did you think you were just going to retire? No, I was done, Joe. I was done. Uh... It took the, it took me too long to recover after games. I I you know I couldn't even like couldn't I was walking like an old man. My because a lot of the rinks, Joe in Italy, especially in the mountains, they're cold. They're cold rinks, so you're playing in the cold. It's harder on the body. Um, so yeah, I couldn't do it anymore. My body wouldn't allow me to do it. I wanted to stay in the game. Mm-hmm. I wanted to coach or do something and. Uh, to do that, I would have had to like move to the Midwest and to do that. But I got lucky with the Long Island Jaws because I knew somebody and I was able to code. That's where you and I met. Yes. Well, don't jump the, to the uh, Jaws yet. Don't. I want to know because you thought you say you're done, but somehow you managed to sneak in eight games in RHI uh, with the New Jersey Rock and Rollers. So tell me how that came about. So here's the. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. You know, again, I'm so impressed with the research. Well, I appreciate that. Really? Um, so the owner of the New Jersey Rock and Rollers was also going to own the Long Island Jaws the next year. Okay. So I knew the guy who was running the operation, and he was looking for a defenseman. He goes, Phil, I think if you come play with us, you're going to put us over the top with the Rock and Rollers. I go, Bobby, I can't play anymore. I just don't have it, you know? Bobby Crawford. He goes, come on. He didn't believe me. He goes, come on. All you got to do is move the puck. You, you could be the difference, you know? I go, all right, Bobby, I'll come, but here's the deal. If I come and play eight games, I want you to give me the coaching job with the Jaws. He goes, you, he <laughs> goes, you got it. I'll do it. Oh, wow, go, all okay. Right, Bobby, I'll, I'll, I'll go out there and I'll work hard and I'll try, but I'm, I'm warning you, Bobby. I, I really felt the last few part of the year. He goes, all right, don't worry about it. So I went out and I played hard. I didn't play well. And then he held up his end of the deal. He got me the Jaws coaching job. Now, you played eight games. Nine penalty minutes, so that's an odd number, which means, did, was there a scrap involved in the roller hockey for you? No. <laughs> I don't think so. Not that I can remember. Joe, I, you, 
I couldn't even turn on those things. Man. That's uh, well. It's funny you say that because that's what I wanted to know. Because I know I don't remember the name of the book, but there was a really good book that was written about the RHI, uh, talking about you know players that went from ice to the the inline skates and how difficult to transition it was. So you're saying how your body had enough, and then I see you going to RHI, going, well, this couldn't have been easy on the body at all. No, no, it was tough as hell, man. <laughs> it's tough. Now, but, uh, were you there when uh, they had Manon Rayon play a game or so? Oh, well, I have a Manon Rayon story for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Manon Rayon, my first practice with the Rock and Rollers. Again, I'm just trying to get used to the whole feel of the skate. We're doing a shooting drill, and I come right down the middle of the ice. The puck jumps up on edge, edge on on the sport court. I take a slapper, and I hit Manon Rayon. Right between the eyes. Oh, shit. I cut her. Oh. Bang. There's blood. No way. At the time, her boyfriend played on the team. Jerry St. Cyr. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. He's not happy with me. <laughs> I go, dude, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to. He goes, oh, come on, man. Keep the shot down. <laughs> I'm going, dude, man. You know. Oh, my God. <laughs> I felt terrible. Yeah, well, like you say, you're you're not used to this stuff. It's not like on ice where you can kind of control where your shot goes. Right. You know, I was going to ask you about Mr. and Mrs. Rayoma uh, if you had any memories with them, but uh, that's the best one. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and she was better about it than he was. She was like, oh, I don't worry about afterwards. Yeah. You know, she was cool. And, she was cool. And you know, the the guy you mentioned, Mel Engelstad, he played a little bit for Jersey that year, but he wasn't there when you were there. Oh, really? Yeah, it might have been one or two games, but he spent a couple of games there, I think. Oh. Yeah, all right. I just, uh, I wasn't sure if you uh, if you guys crossed over, but, uh, but yeah, I knew that, uh, I didn't know the Rayom story, but I was going to ask you if, you if you were there with her and uh, and Jerry there, so that's probably the best story that, uh, that you could have told. So, my next question was, how did you end up with the Jaws, but you already went, went, uh, went over yeah. that. So, yes, that is where we met. Now, do you remember how we met? No. Who was your right-hand guy with the jaws? Uh, Artie? Artie. Yep. Artie was, uh, Artie was our mutual friend. And uh, so I reached out to Artie to try to get some good Phil stories. So he said he has oh. – <laughs> so he, he said he has a lot, but he kept it, he kept it clean. Um, but I want to tell you what Artie said about you. Um, Artie said Phil is absolutely one of a kind. I learned so much from him. It was my first job in sports. It was just me and Phil in the Coliseum press box the first two to three weeks until we had an office set up. But we quickly meshed, and I listened like a puppy dog to each and every story he told. He taught me the best best way of dealing with coaches, management players, etc. He said, the gig for me was in group sales, and I was the pre- and post-game manager. Unlike the other sales guys, I had access to the area down by the locker room, and once in a while, Phil would grab me and ask if I'd been watching and what I thought. And then he says, sorry I don't have more juicy or funny stories to tell, but I can tell you we had a great time that season. Phil and I were even trying to get investors to buy the franchise after that first season because the owner was going to put it on pause due to the conflict with SMG and the Isles, which I do want to get to uh, towards the end of this. And then he said, you'll never find a more knowledgeable hockey guy in the world. He definitely knows the game. So, Yeah, Artie's a great guy. I'm still in touch with him. We still keep in touch. Uh, 
Yeah, one of the great guys that I met in the game. Really uh, good memories with Artie, man. Special guy. Did you know that he owns his own pretzel store now? I heard, yeah, when last time I spoke, I thought it was ice cream. It's pretzels? Pretzels. He has his own pretzel store. Um, here, at, well, I'm in Massapequa. He has it in Levittown. I think I'm going to take a ride over there uh, later this week. But yeah, I, I tracked him down, and I'm like, all right, cool guy. I know he's not he's not on social media at all, and I, I figured if he's running his own store, he's got to answer emails. So, uh, so I, he definitely uh, he emailed me me back there, and already obviously I knew already from you know the Islanders being around the Islanders, and yes. uh, we were both in Levittown. And I remember when this was happening, he's like, oh, you got to come and meet Phil. This guy's awesome. You're going to love him. You're going to love him. And then, um, so by the time I met you, you guys were set up with your office by Roosevelt Field. Yeah. You guys had the office set up. But it, it's true what, I mean, not that it wouldn't be true, but tell me about you guys having a setup in the Coliseum press box until you got office space. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, that's funny because, um yeah, there was a bunch of – I was up there with, like, four or five salesmen. We were just sitting around doing basically nothing, waiting for them to get the office set up. But we could sit up there, and I was up on the catwalk mm-hmm. watching Millbury run practices. Mm-hmm. This is when Wendell Clark was an Islander. Okay, yep. And, oh, the fish I remember one, one night, one day, we were up there, and the Islanders played really bad. Mm-hmm. And he had him out there the next day, and he told them, all, well, take your jerseys off. Because you, you don't deserve to wear them. And he skated them down and back for like an hour. Wow. Ber- berating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds about time. right. Well, and actually, if they played like shit, they did deserve to wear the fisherman jerseys. Because that yes. was that's the caliber of jerseys they were. But I digress. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, I, I love that. I wish, you know, it would be great. It's easy for me to say. It would be great, like, if you ever thought about writing a book about, like, your career. But even with the Jaws. Because... Like, I think people think professional sports, you don't ever think the fact that you guys don't have an office yet. So you guys are like setting up phones and desks or whatever in the press box. I think that's such a great story. Yeah, no, it's uh, because you're walking around the Coliseum, a building you've been in many times with tons of people. Now it's empty. Yeah. You're like, you're talking to the, you know, the the, uh, construction guy or this guy, you know. It was uh, it was pretty. It was a cool experience to be in and out of that building, uh, especially with all the hit the Islander history there. But um, Joe, shoot me a text when you're going over to Artie's. If I'm not busy, I'll meet over there. I'll take a ride. Okay, absolutely, I will definitely. Yeah. Um, do you remember? So you're the coach and GM, so you have free reign to build this team as you want, correct? Yes. Now, do you remember who your first draft pick was? Oh man. You know, it's funny who helped me with that draft was Chris McSorley. Oh, is that right? He was like director of player personnel, um, who guy I fought many times, yeah, but yeah. he was helping me. I'm trying to remember who the first pick was. it Don Parsons? Nope. It's a guy who ended up not playing. He didn't play on that team and went off to have a great career. Glenn Metropolitan. Yes, but don't jump ahead. You drafted someone who came off a pretty big numbers year in a certain category that season before in the IHL. Andy Bezo. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) He was a legitimate tough heavyweight. He he had 590 penalty minutes the year before in Fort Wayne, and he was your first pick. That was McSorley. He told me to pick him. Yeah, there you go. 
Now, someone you picked in the first pick in the supplemental draft who I didn't know anything about, but once once he got there and I was doing my research because I, I wanted to absorb everything I could, and this guy was like a roller hockey legend, was Tony Zabo. Yes. He's that a Northern guy. Michigan guy. Went to Northern Michigan. Oh, is that right? Okay, yeah. yeah. That guy could play. He could fire the puck, man. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I was thinking about him recently, like what he's doing now with himself. I he's on Facebook. He's... Is he? Yeah, he's on Facebook. Okay. Yep. Um, one thing I read when I was, I didn't remember this. I can't take credit for remembering it, but I did, it did come up in research. Um, and I, obviously this was a publicity stunt. Alec Baldwin, was he asked to play? No, I don't remember that. No. Yeah, I read that somewhere, but uh, I couldn't imagine. I would have liked to see him play against like a Daniel Shank or something. That would have been interesting. <laughs> so, now, all right. So you mentioned Glenn Metropolit, who at that time really was a, a nondescript player, you know, in, in pro hockey. And like you say, what a career he went on to have. Um, yeah. You had some pretty good players on that team, aside from Zabo. You had the best player in the league that year, Hugo Belanger. What a season yeah. that guy had. Uh, Donnie Parsons, you had Metro, you had Zabo. Um, you had some tough players, too, on that team. Uh, you had Norm Desaind, yeah. uh Brent Pope, yeah. uh, Jason Clark, Darren Banks. So you had and, – and Andy Cozzi shows up again. Yeah. Uh, talk about building that team because you had a really good mix of guys there. It was great. It was a great experience, Joe. I mean, I did everything but uh, sell popcorn and, uh, you know, I sold tickets, everything. Um, but putting the team together, Chris McSorley at the time was a highly regarded minor league coach and evaluator. He gave me a list. I also went around and I got Glenn Metropolit from a phone call I made to a former teammate of mine who's coaching in the East Coast League, who I played with in Adirondack, Mike Knuckle or Knuckle. Mike Newell? No, uh, he's a Massachusetts guy. So I okay. called him, and he gave me Metropolit. Okay. And I reached out, and that's how I got him. But uh, it was great. You know, you're recruiting, you're talking to players. I speak the same language. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a really fun. I didn't like the way the year ended, but it was a no. fun year. Uh, it was a good year, and uh, I'm happy for Metro. Uh, yeah. I, you know, he, he, he went, had a great NHL run, and then he went over to Switzerland and made a lot of money. Good. Good for so, him. So, great guy. Sweetheart of a guy. Uh, like I said, I, I, Zabel was the one name that I heard, and I know Artie told me a lot about him. But I had no idea about Hugo Belanger and just, you know, going to every game, watching this guy play, that guy was an absolute magician. Yeah. He could really shoot the puck too, huh? Yeah. Oh, my God. And then, of course, you had uh, – it, it seemed like every team had one or two guys that, that were, you know, enforcers in the ice hockey. Like, I know Serge Roberge played in Montreal. He was there. Every team had their guys. And you had, uh, you know, Darren Banks, Jason Clark, and those guys. So um, – one question I want to ask you, because this is essentially a summer job for these guys, and as the coach now in the GM, did you ever have to worry about uh, the guys being all in, like a commitment? Not really, Joe. They, yeah. uh, you know, they were, they, yeah, they were getting, there's a paycheck for them, but they, you know, I had no complaints. They worked hard. Yeah. 
Um, I didn't feel like they took any shortcuts. I don't think they stayed in at night and ate milk and cookies. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think they were all in, they were all in the same complex out in Suffolk somewhere. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, they were good guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I I had no problem with their commitment. Yeah, and it's and that and just so people know, it's not. A, I'm not asking that question as an indictment of your players. I would ask that of any coach that coaches yeah. any of the RHI teams because you figure these guys play a full season of ice hockey, and now you come here to Long Island. Maybe it's the first time these guys have ever been here. You get to see the ocean and all this other stuff. So it's not an indictment of those guys because no. you know my dealings with the guys on that team. Everybody was awesome. So uh, it was really just more of a question of uh, you know essentially it's a summer job. And make a little extra yeah. cash, so you know. Um, refresh my memory now with the uh, the dispute with uh, SMG and the Jaws. You know, it was something to do with the signage, Joe. Mm-hmm. But I think it was more like a, you know, the owner of the role of hockey. They were a little arrogant, mm-hmm. and uh, instead of going in there and trying to make a deal, they really tried to throw their weight around mm-hmm. with SMG, which is a huge, you know, arena right. operator. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't go over well, and it, the bottom line was Joe. Th- those teams could not afford those buildings, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're paying fifteen, twenty thousand an event, and they're getting twenty five hundred, three thousand people. It doesn't work, right? Right. You know, so maybe they used the advertising to get out of the lead. You know what I mean? It could have mm-hmm. been a. I wasn't in those meetings, you know. Right. Right. But. uh I was sad to see it go. It would have been nice to have, have another kick at the can, you know? Um, and then did you have any opportunities or were you interested in coaching elsewhere? Like you had said, if you wanted to coach in ice hockey, you'd have to go to the Midwest. I mean, this was really the perfect opportunity for you, um, you know, as far as coaching goes. Was this was this it? Was this the end of the road for you and uh, professional hockey? You know, I wanted to stay in it, Joe. I made, I called all my contacts, mm-hmm. everybody I knew, Millberry, Barry, Millrose, all these guys, uh, guys who can put a really, when they put a good word in for you, it carries weight, you know? Mm-hmm. Jimmy Devilano, I called them all. Yeah. And uh, what I learned was for me to stay, like, I, I, one of the reasons I didn't want to play anymore is because I couldn't recover, but my parents were getting older. I wanted to stay closer to New York for me to stay involved. And now I'm 31, 32. I would have had to move back to the Midwest again. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had been moving every year since I was 16 to 30. I was done moving, you know, mm-hmm. and I right. could live in those small towns when I was younger. I don't know if I could do it when I'm, you know, there's one place to eat. You know what I mean, Joe? Right. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, so I was like, you know, maybe it's probably time now. I'm going to have to go to get a job, <laughs> unfortunately. Get a real job, right? Right. So uh, speaking of real jobs, what have you done since you retired? Yeah, so uh, I had a friend who worked on Wall Street. And uh, he said, why don't you come over here with me? And uh, I started as a broker. And now I'm a compliance officer at a bank. And I've been doing it for uh, the last 25 years. Oh wow! Okay, wow, that's oh, good. Wow. So, yeah, really, just the you know the one industry since you retired. Yes. Oh, that's and you work in Manhattan. 
I've been working from home the last since you know COVID, but okay. uh, I'm starting to go back into the Manhattan two days a week. Okay, I'm right across the street from Radio City in Midtown. Oh, okay, I, I say this at the end of every episode. I start the episode the same way, asking you about your childhood, uh, who you were when you played hockey, and uh, final question is always the same. Uh, is there anything about your career that uh, you'd like to talk about that maybe I forgot to ask? Uh, is there anything that I left out that you'd want to bring up? Uh, no, Joe, you, I'm so impressed with all your research. Um, you really got into the nooks and crannies and reaching out <laughs> to Artie. So that's very impressive. Uh, very professional show. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank um, you. One thing I would touch on, Joe, is the – you know, I didn't get to play in the NHL for a long period of time. It was I was in and around camps and stuff. But to get to that level, the Olympics in Europe, you got to have a lot of people around you, family, who support you. You know, there's a big. It's not only a big commitment and sacrifice for the player, but it's also for the families, the, taking you to games and practices, and you know, buying all your gear. And it's it's huge, Joe. Hockey, uh, it's not a cheap sport. You know, mm-hmm. as you know. Yeah. Um, so to just, you know, recognize my family, my mother and father and my family and everything and, uh, what they did when I was a kid with the hockey for sure. No, that's great. Uh, Phil, you know, um, you know, I, I know a, a decent amount about your career. Obviously, you know, a lot more. I, I think there's a book in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, you know, I, I'm maybe I'm biased with the whole, you know, like I, I, I love the American league and your training camps and the, the whole team Italy thing. And, Going to the RHI, I think you may want to consider that. Well, thanks, Joe. I uh, I did take, you know, I did keep a diary during the like ten days that I was in Lilyhammer. Mm-hmm. You know, no, noting all like the team meetings and what was said and stuff like that. I, I maybe I have to dig that out of one of the boxes I have in the basement. I would love that. I I'm telling you, it's uh, this was so great. You know, talking about your career again. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, I'll definitely uh, shoot your text and let you know when I'm going to see uh, Big Artie. Yeah, please do. Thank, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it, Joe. Uh, you're doing a great job here. I like the uh, the background view with the island. What is that, a Brian Barrard jersey? Over no, this, this stuff here, this is the uh, – you'll have to come over one day. It's the uh, – we just moved here a couple of months ago, and I finally have my man cave. So it's all my, uh, like, jerseys here. So – what you're seeing right there, that's the draft pick wall. We got uh, two Kevin Shevel day off jerseys. You got a Dave Chizowski, uh Dean Chanel, the Brent Grieve, a Brent Severin, even though no, wow. he wasn't, Seve wasn't drafted by the Islanders, but uh, he sent me that jersey. So, um, yeah, I got a whole bunch of jerseys down here. And uh, I got to I gotta hang up a bunch of pictures still. And then once I do, I promise a bunch of people on social media that I would post it. And when I turn my chair here, Right here to the left, I got a wall full of gloves. I just knocked down uh, Jimmy Cummins' gloves here, so I got to put those back up. But, uh, but yeah, so, no, it's uh, I got to have you over one day. You can take a look at the stuff. It's sort of like, right. a, it's like a museum of badassery or something, so it's not cool. too bad. Cool. So, Phil, thanks again, man, and uh, we'll talk soon, okay? Thank, thanks, Joe. All right, see ya. Thanks again to Phil for sharing the story of his career. Uh, I, I loved it. Uh, you know, as you could tell, I get a little giddy there when he was talking about, uh, his Italian experience. And, uh, and I just think that's amazing. I'm really, you know, Phil, Phil's one of the really good guys. 
in the sport. I mean, that's the one thing that I, I've always said, you know, since I've, and I don't want to say been involved in the game because I'm obviously not involved in the game, but since I've involved myself in getting to know a lot of the guys who scrapped over the years and, to be honest with you, it's really been over 30 years I've been doing this and uh, I've made so many, so many good friends and so many acquaintances and every single one of them has been, uh, has been really, really good guy and Phil's no different, really great guy. And, um, you know, it, it's just cool the way Phil, Phil has that swagger and uh, it sort of comes through in that interview. So, um, so thank you again, Phil, uh, for taking the time to share your stories with myself and the audience. Uh, I hope you people enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, so uh, no predictions for next week. I, I said a couple of weeks ago that I had a couple of interviews on the burner. And um, again, we run into the issue where um, none of us are millionaires and everyone works. So, uh, so sometimes scheduling becomes an issue. So I'm just going to leave it at this. I'll have something for you next week. Hopefully it's with the guest. I'm really excited about the next guest that I have booked. And uh, hopefully we'll have time to record. If not, I will give you a, a solo episode that will fall way short of expectations. But I will have something for you next week. So enjoy this episode with Philly D right now. And everybody out there, until we meet again, stay safe. <laughs>